Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase, I'm Josh, and we are here to give you the differences episode for part one of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows today. So far, we have covered up to chapter 24 in the books, and that is exactly where it stops and leaves off to where uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one, the film, leaves off. So today, we will be discussing all the great and terrible differences that we have found in this film. <laughs> you know we love doing these episodes. These are some of our favorite ones because we get to kind of just kick back, relax, and be ourselves on these bad boys. So with that being said, I'll turn it over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll get rolling into this thing. The fun episode is here, everybody. No more story time today. It is back and forth that controversy you've wanted again for so long. So thanks for being back on this ride. But this one wasn't too bad, man. I feel like this is the first one maybe they actually read pieces of the novel. What do you think? I agree that of all the ones, it's not <laughs> as bad. Uh, but... There's still a lot of issues that I do have with it, but I will say to your credit that it probably has been the best of what we've seen so far from the film. So, yeah, that's what I have to say on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't saying very much. But, I, I mean, it was some interesting ads. We're going to get into those today. Like, some I'm okay with. Some I was just like, why is that even in there? But, you know, I think... I, yeah, let's just go ahead and kick this off today, man. Let's do it. Let's give the people what they want and let them decide whether or not this movie is worth checking out or if they should dive in deep to the novel and embrace all the actual greatness Harry Potter is or if they should embrace what is known as the film franchise. <laughs> so I'll let you go ahead and kick us off, Jay Nelly. Sounds good, brother. Well, before we do it, let's just get our patented malice on the chalice in here. And then what we'll do, guys, is we'll kind of do this how we always do our differences. We'll both do about five each, and then we'll turn it over to the other one. So uh, I'll, I'll get us... Actually, no, I'll let you get started, because I know you want to do a certain uh, beginning part of uh, of the Harry Potter <laughs> Nothing Hell is Part 1. We were talking about it earlier before we started today. So with that being said, let's just get our malice on the chalice in here, and I'll let you kick us off with your first five differences that you've seen, and I'll do the same, and we'll rock through it that way sound good it's a plan brother let's do it malice in the chalice baby. <laughs> off to the pit of misery with you yeah these these films put me in a pit of misery i'll tell you that <laughs> let's do it and you know what's why i first want to state before i read this this is not important at all <laughs> i wanted to read it so everyone could see how ridiculous it is Right, ridiculous from the ridiculous crew start us off on a good note so i'm just gonna take this first one and then i'm gonna send it back over to our own jay nelly hopefully get a start on some maybe maybe some important important differences but i feel yes. like all the ads weren't that important but so the first one i have no idea why but there is a great <laughs> monologue from Scrimmageur and it's very intense and detailed so Scrimmageur gives this speech instead of it starting out at Malfoy Manor with Yaxley and Snape like the book so he says these are dark times there is no denying them our world perhaps our world has no greater threat than it does today but I say this to our citizenry. 
we, ever your servants, will continue to defend your liberty and repel the forces that seek it to take it from you. Your ministry remains strong. <laughs> that is exactly how it goes. And you thought I was reading that just because I'm a slow-ass reader. Like, in all the books. Is that not exactly how he fucking says that shit? <laughs> slow and dramatic, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Please explain. In the book, it started off badass with Snape and Yaxley. And you're like, what the hell is going on? They're going to Malfoy Manor. They were practically back-to-back at that point, almost like Wolverine, where they're like, back-to-back. But no, you start off with some slow, dramatic speech. Please explain what you think this means. I'm assuming it means that in dark times, the ministry is backing the people, hence the word citizenry, which I didn't even know was grammatically correct, but I'm going to accept it for what it is. (laughs) And, uh... Your ministry remains strong? This totally contradicts that because clearly has not remained strong the entire time. What what are your thoughts on that? I will agree with you in saying that the ministry clearly is not strong because what we find out in chapter one (laughs) is that uh, Voldemort has, uh, his Death Eaters have put the Imperious Curse on pious thickness, meaning they have already infiltrated the ministry. So I don't know how the ministry is remaining strong when it's infiltrated <laughs> by Voldemort in the very beginning chapter, but apparently we're going to let that go. So yeah, no, I'm with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Back over to you, Jane Nelly. I'll let you take it for bullet point, the next bullet points, man. Sure, yeah, I'll just take about three or four here. So uh, the next one I have outside of that speech is... Uh, Hermione in the movie, she just kind of erases herself from photos and just makes her parents forget about her. But this isn't even mentioned until everyone's already at the burrow in the book. So, yeah. like, it just, like, like, it, like, like we, we don't even know that this happens, but it starts off with it in the film. Well, the reason why I kind of have an issue with it is because that, that was the whole point of trying to get Harry to understand how seriously Hermione and Ron took the journey that they're going to have to take with him. So, like, the, just showing what happens, like, oh, I'm just going to erase part of your memories... It was very interesting. And then on top of that, it doesn't even confirm. Like, they say it in hushed voices. I went and put the... I always watch it with subtitles on. But her parents were sitting on the couch. And uh, they do say in hushed voices, what about Australia? It sounds wonderful, yeah. doesn't it? But, like, you know, that they, they say it to each other. But Hermione never tells everyone that she, like, she sent her parents to Australia like she's supposed to in the book. So they just... I, I found that a little bit absurd. Like, they just put it there in the beginning. And it was very anticlimactic right all she did was sit there behind them and say obliviate and then she erased herself from the photos and it was uh, there was a reason why they made that happen in the novel is to show harry this is how serious we take the journey that we're going to be going on with you like we don't think this is going to be cakes and fucking ice cream like we know that this is going to be dangerous <laughs> that's why i sent my fucking parents to australia that's why we did and this is another thing later on but like how Ron was supposed to disguise himself. And we'll talk about that in a few, because that never happened in the film either. So anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, after that, I also thought this one kind of sucked. Like, apparently the Dursleys are already half in the car when the movie starts. Like, there's no mention <laughs> of Hestia Jones or Daedalus Diggle. No shocking gratitude from Dudley, like in the book. Just two seconds of Uncle Vernon telling Dudley it's not safe for them anymore. That's all they're like, it's not safe for us here anymore. And then they get in the car and leave. Well, that's a huge problem, because in the book... 
it was supposed to be almost like a character progression of Dudley. You know, remember he set the, the little glass of tea outside Harry's thing, the kind of like a peace offering. And then when they all left with Hestia Jones and Daedalus Diggle, he says like, thank you to Harry. Like, or I don't think you're a waste of space is what he said. So like, it shows the yeah. character progression. Well, in the film they said, fuck the Dursleys, we don't give a shit. Let's get on with the story. <laughs> so that one is another one I had an issue with. Um, also, right after that, apparently when Snape arrives at Malfoy Manor, it's only Snape in the film. But in the book, like Snape, what, like Chase was saying, it was Snape and Yaxi show up together and entered into like that little sitting room. So, and then also, then I'll turn it over to Chase after this one. This is a huge one, and really, really have to pay attention and closely to this because I think some people may have missed this. If you look closely, the reserved seat in the film for Snape was actually a few seats away from Voldemort. Where in the book, he's actually seated directly to Voldemort's right, symbolizing how much Voldemort thinks of Snape after killing Dumbledore. It's almost like Snape is my right-hand man in the book. That's what it was supposed to be. But if you look closely in the film, there's actually two seats between Voldemort and Snape where he sat at. So they got the whole symbolism wrong. That was the whole thing. You're supposed to get the sense that Snape is... Voldemort's right-hand man now. Snape did the task. He killed the only one Voldemort was ever scared of in Dumbledore. And so now, Voldemort trusts Snape even more. And that was, like, totally missed by the film. It was something something so small, and it doesn't change anything. All you do is you have everyone in the same room, and you have him move down two seats and have Snape next to Voldemort. It doesn't take any more of the the budget. It doesn't do anything to the storyline. Just go ahead and do what you're supposed to do. So... With that, I'll turn it over to Chase to take the next few, but I had some big issues with those. You know what's sad is I agree with you 100% on everything you said. <laughs> on that 100%. I gotta say that, I gotta give him a little prop, okay? I did think the soundtrack was cool. Like, the soundtrack was cool. Like, when Hermione was doing Obliviate, and it was like, like, that sounded more like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something, but <laughs> it, it sounded cool to me. I don't know. I thought I gotta I gotta give Emma Watson credit though. Like her emotion, you can just feel the emotion. Like she was like, but here's another fucking problem I had. Why does she just walk out into nothingness? Why does she? What did know. you see that? She just walked yeah, out. Yeah, she walked down to the street. Yeah, I don't know, man. Aren't they supposed to be, like, tracked by the ministry now? But we're just walking in the street, apparently. Uh, I, I don't think she is because she is above age. So she, you know, she turned 17 yeah. and a uh, half-blood prince. So I don't think that that is. But, like, you're right in terms of, like, why the heck was she just walking aimlessly down the street? I don't understand yeah. that. But, like, yeah. but, yeah. Um, I will say this. Uh, the Dudley scene, so I did look it up. It was actually originally filmed, the entire thing. <laughs> but they chose to cut it from the film. So please explain why you would do that. <laughs> like an ad, you could have cut out that entire speech in the beginning and had that in there. I don't know. Um, I did think this was cool. I got to give him props. I thought the Malfoy Manor scene was visually cool. Um, I did think they did the Charity Burbage scene cool. Uh, you can even see kind of the emotion on Draco. I thought Tom Felton did a good job with his little crying. He's not the motherfucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the doggy. He's a crying dog in this one. He's a hound dog. Howling hound dog. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, and then I did think this was cool. Like Charity Burbage when she dies. Like she had like the tears in her eyes. I guess that was cool. Like she was like really reaching out for Snape. So I thought it was cool. And of course like Nagini. Like the whole visual computer generated snake was badass. Um, 
And then this is a big problem I have. And then I'll let you take it from here. Bill introduces himself during the seven Potter scene and where he has the scar from like Fenrir Greyback. Well, that happened in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Also, Mundungus is like, I'm Mundungus. Well, we've known about Mundungus since Order of the Phoenix. So, like, we've known his reputation. And then I, I don't have anything against the cast guy because I don't know much about him. But I just feel like it wasn't casted very accurately. Why did he look like he belonged in, like, an Aladdin film? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> just throwing it out there. He looked like he belonged... Like serving the Sultan of Jafar or something. I have no idea. But with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Jay Nelly. Sounds good. So I've got a few things to catch up on because I'm still in Malfoy Manor before we get to the Seven Potters. So I'll take okay. at least up until I catch up with you here at the Seven Potters, right? So cool. uh, sounds good. Another thing, I think, so I did detail a few things I liked, like like you did as well. When he actually mentions he got info from Dolish the Or. And Snape says it's a false trail, and the Order believes that the Death Eaters have infiltrated the Ministry. That was actually done very well. I enjoyed that. Okay. I thought that they yeah. did that, that spot on. Very, very good in terms of how it matched up with the novel. But then the next scene, Pious Thickness was not at the meeting with the Death Eaters in the book. He, then for some reason he is in the film. Remember, like, he's like spoken like a true politician. Like Voldemort said to Pius Thickness at the bottom. Like, the whole point is he's in the ministry. <laughs> like, why is he there at the <laughs> meeting with the Death Eaters? I know right. it's just not necessary to add him there. Honestly, it would have saved you money to take him out. You have to pay the actor for that scene. <laughs> I don't get it. So, uh, but then to your point, I also thought this next part was a, they did very well as too. They do a great job when Snape tells the plan of taking Harry to one of the Order's places and how it would be impractical to attack him there and the prisoner screaming from the cellar and Voldemort yelling at Wormtail to keep him quiet, that was spot on with how the book went. That was very, very good. So I was very impressed in that spot of there as well. Now, they miss in the film, this is a big area of opportunity that would have been great, they miss in the film where they laugh at Narcissa and Bellatrix because remember Lupin and Tonks are supposed to get married mm -hmm. and it's important because it's how Bellatrix tries extra hard to kill Tonks during the battle in the sky that we're going to get to in a little bit. So like right. they they like made they humiliated Narcissa and Bellatrix. Remember like oh who, are you going to babysit the cubs Draco like making fun of them saying you know we got to trim the trees on our on our family to keep <laughs> the lines pure and stuff like that. So they missed that entire part. That's a really big key because remember when Tonks finally gets there, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but she's like, man, Bellatrix is really trying to kill me. Well, yeah, no shit. We, <laughs> like, that is the reason why, and you cut it out. So I thought that was absurd. Uh, also, this is important too, the film misses the part where Lucius tries to get Voldemort's wand in return for his, and that's important because that's when Voldemort yeah. mocks Lucius and tells him that he thought his freedom from Azkaban should have been enough. And Lucius asks Lucius why his presence in their manner displeases him, which is a huge foreshadow for that whole family's thing that's towards the end of Battle of the Hogwarts. Like, it, it was just a lot of missed opportunities in that moment. But to, and then also to your part, too, I did star this. The Nagini dinner part was very cool, and her, like, sliding across the table. Yeah. I, did, I did appreciate that. Uh, now going to where we are at with uh, Harry and his room, apparently... Harry already has the shard of Sirius's mirror in his hand without cutting himself. <laughs> the reason why that's important, because it reminds us that Harry is still too young to use magic outside of school, and that he still has a trace on him. 
Also, yeah. the fact he admits to himself that even minor injuries are beyond his skill to heal. Both are foreshadows. You can't leave that out. Like, you can't leave it out. I'm sorry. That's something that's very important. So the fact that he's still underage and not able to use magic at that time is something that you should put in there. On top of that, the fact he even admitted to himself, man, this minor injury is still beyond my skill to heal. Well, that's kind of a problem for a 17-year-old with yeah. like six years of magical <laughs> education. So I think that is something that needs to be addressed. And then two more, and I'll have been caught up with Chase, and I'll let him take it from here. I did think they did a solid job. This is a like, thing I highlighted that I enjoyed. They did a solid job of having Harry open the broom cupboard under the stairs with the lamenting childhood music in the background. They got it halfway right because it invoked the same feeling of leaving a place for the last time. So they got the feeling correct. There were some things they left out of it, but the emotion was supposed to be there. The little bit of nostalgia, yeah. of that familiarity, like the place that even though I wasn't happy here, it was like a sense of comfort because it's what I've always known, right? And so I think they did that very, very well. But the next thing, like the very next scene, <laughs> why the hell was Bill introducing himself to Harry? And well, I, I get it because in past movies they fucked up and they kind of had to make up for it now in this one. But remember in the books, Harry met Bill in Goblet of Fire before the Quidditch Cup. Like they met him before the Quidditch Cup. And they left that out of the Goblet of Fire movie. Then last movie, they left out the order battling the Death Eaters in Hogwarts where Bill gets his face ravaged by Fenrir Greyback. So in this movie, they just throw in some claw marks on <laughs> Bill's face and call it a day. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, we're just calling it all day. So, I don't know. I thought that was something that, like, obviously, it's a huge issue. But they just had to, basically, had to make up for past mistakes they made in other movies. So, yeah. I, I, in any event, I'm all caught up with you now. So, I'll you take it from here and then we'll, we'll keep it rolling. It's like they pulled a Rise of Skywalker. Like, they were trying to make up for The Last Jedi, so they just threw some shit in there. Like, claw marks will work, man. Let them imagine what happens. Well, you don't need to imagine because you can fucking read about it. Yes! <laughs> like, it's not that fucking hard. Uh, next thing I have is a transport scene. Uh, some stuff in there. Are you okay if I do that, or you got anything in between you want to cover real quick? Do, do it, because I do have some things in between, but just take a couple, so that way I'll, and I'll catch up with you after that. Yeah, cool. I was going to say, I thought, like, you know, the visuals of the brooms and the Thestrals were badass, for the most part. For the most part. Um, I thought the fire on Hagrid's bike was cool. An interesting ad. I don't have a problem with it. I thought it was kind of ridiculous, but I'm okay with it. Like, they went under, like, the subway. <laughs> like, the motorcycle turned upside down. But then, like, Harry is able to run across a bus or some shit. Like, I don't know what the fuck that was. Like, I'm okay with it, I guess. But, like, why? what was the point of that? Like, I, I didn't find that any more intense. That didn't intensify the moment for me at all, actually. Just me personally. Um, and then, of course, Hedwig flies away on his own accord. So he was never in a cage. And then the big difference... Is the fact that he was killed by a Death Eater. And because I guess like he looked at Hedwig is what they're trying to say how they noticed Harry. We're really in the fucking book. It was Stan Shunpike with the Expelliarmus spell that he used is what got them noticed. But I guess like because Hedwig flew out of a cage. 
or was never in the cage. Like, he just was never ever there. Like, they, like, set him free, and for some reason, he happens to end up in the same spot everyone's getting transported to, even though also in the book they're all supposed to be going to different places, but we all decide to go to the fucking burrow. That's really smart. I don't know, man. I had a lot of problems with the transport scene. I thought it was visually gorgeous. Except for the fucking part where he runs across the bus or whatever the car was. You take... The, you're, the, you're the big transport guy. So I'm going to let you hit this one. <laughs> Back to you, Jay Nelly. I still got a lot of problems before we even get to the transport part. Like, <laughs> like that's the bad part here. It's like, dude, the movie didn't even have Mad-Eye explain what the Ministry had done to make travel super difficult for them. Like, number one, they made it a principal offense to connect Harry's house to the flu network, and they, or place a port key there, or apparate in and out. That was supposed to make it the whole reason why they decided to travel in this fashion, because the ministry made it damn impossible to do anything else, but we're just going to leave out that <laughs> detail. Not a problem at all. We just think the, the most logical way is just take these damn brooms and festivals and shit. Anyways, uh, this is not really a big difference, but something I did notice, it's not terribly important. But they all had separate vials of Polyjuice Potion in the book, where in the movie they just all passed around Mad Eye Moody's flask and took a sip out of it. I don't know. Yeah. I thought that yeah, was stupid. True. Yeah. But I will say, to the movie's credit, they did a damn good job of showing the conversation and the things said while they were all getting dressed as Harry. That was pretty good. Yeah. Give it to them. They did do good. But, yeah, uh, they did good at that. To the point where you kind of left off in terms of talking about Hedwig and the owl cages, they missed in the film where in the book they all had owl cages with stuffed owls so the Death Eaters wouldn't be able to identify Harry by his owl. That's literally the whole reason why they all had cages with stuffed animal owls so this exactly what the movie tries to convince us what happened wouldn't have happened. <laughs> like, it's just very, very silly. But And also to, your, to what you were saying as well, just to kind of reiterate and expand on the point where you were talking about them all going to the burrow, yeah, in the film they said they were all heading to the borough, which is not only wrong, but also a problem. Because part of the real plan of the book was to have everyone fly to different safe houses to throw the Death Eaters off. And then from the safe houses take a port key to the borough. So why in the world would they all just fly to the borough when all the Death Eaters <laughs> would have to do is follow them to the same fucking location? <laughs> like, that's all they would have to do. They didn't have Literally, to do anything else except, hey, they're all flying the same to the same place. Let's just follow them because they're going to the same spot. Why in the world would that make sense in the film? So, yeah, that was dumb. And then, to talk about the actual transporting scene, why did it show Mad-Eye flying on his own past Harry on a pedal broom in the movie? He even told Mundungus to stick with him because he wants to keep an eye on him. What the fuck, people? That's a huge issue because Mundungus <laughs> riding with Mad-Eye is a big reason why Mad-Eye was killed when Mundungus apparated out of there. This is easy stuff. Like, all you gotta do is just put Monungus on the back of the pedal broom. Like, you can <laughs> truly, if you guys want to, go back in this film right here, if you're not watching on YouTube and just listening through audio, I'm padding the top of the film of Harry Potter Deathly Hallows Part 1 to go back and look at it. When they go into the sky, Mad-Eye flies past Harry and there's no one on Mad-Eye's broom except Mad-Eye. Like, that's a ridiculous problem. That's a huge problem. <laughs> so, that was, that's another one. And as you said, Hedwig, Hedwig was not flying free. She was in her cage when she got killed. It doesn't show Harry losing his firebolt. You know, remember in the book, Harry lost his yeah, firebolt, flew to the ground. That's a huge part. And, and, yeah, huge one. Yeah, and then on top of it, see, exactly what you were saying, Hedwig was not the reason the Death Eaters identified the real Harry. In the book, they identified him because he was Expelliarmus on Stan Shunpike. So, uh, and then here's two more, and then I'll be fully caught up with you. 
what happened to Hagrid jumping off the bike onto the Death Eater's broom in the book? Oh, yeah. That would have been something very cool to see. I would have loved to see Hagrid just jump awesome. off the motorcycle and tackle a Death Eater on his broom. But they decided that that wasn't cool enough, apparently. Let's just have him run on top of buses, I guess. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't get it. And then also, the biggest thing here probably is... What happened to the golden flames from Harry's wand? From what I saw, it looked like back in Goblet of Fire where a red stream fought a green stream of energy. It didn't even look like golden flames. It was supposed to be golden flames and it was supposed to break uh, Lucius's wand held by Voldemort. But apparently it was just like the Kamehameha versus like the, the, the red cyber beam or whatever. Final shine! So, yeah, I don't know what the heck it no was. fucking but idea of what it was. They really screwed I the pooch there. It. So I refuse to accept it. So anyway, uh, that, now I'm fully caught up with you. I'll let you take some more from there. I... I gotta say, too, like, I accepted the pedal broom, but, like, why the fuck do we have pedal brooms? I don't recall ever in the book, like, we had different... What is this Hocus Pocus where we're flying vacuum cleaners now? Like, please explain what is going on. Maybe that does exist in that world, I'm assuming, but I... And what's funny was jay nelly had to remind me of this before i watched the film so i could look for it and sure enough there it was when you were describing it to me i was thinking it was almost like i don't even like almost like one of those big bicycles <laughs> at first <laughs> and then i saw what it was and i was like this is just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> literally just like the fucking spell like I when douglas was believe. nowhere to be found on it <laughs> it made absolutely no sense um also, here's a big one, is they don't show the, when Harry arrives back at Ted, arrives at Ted Tonks' place when he's there and then has to get back to the burrow. So none of that's there where they're wondering where Tonks is. Also, why does the film have like all these power lines falling down? Like I was okay with it. I was like, this is visually cool, but like all of a sudden all these power lines fell down. Did I you think, catch that? Yeah. I did, and I think that was what it was, is, like, Voldemort was, like, expressing his rage, so he just used, like, some, like, energy magic and just destroyed all the power lines <laughs> out of out of, out of of frustration because he didn't get to catch Harry. That was my, like, uh, thought on it. All right. Cool. <laughs> like, I, I'm okay with it. I'll accept <laughs> it. I thought it was visually cool. I just didn't really see how it really related to it, so I'm glad you could clear that up for me. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was, like, the the death eaters like suddenly transported and took those down like they were doing an half blood prince or something um let's see from here so i put i don't know if this is the case but yeah okay well you hit this one on the head but okay so i don't know why i guess i guess this is the case because they just wanted to save time but all of the other like point of view character points when they were like arriving back from the port keys, like none of those are there. So anything with like Tonks, any of that, none of that's there. Uh, I just accepted it. Maybe you got to save time. So, like I was okay with it because it wasn't that important. But it definitely even showed that part. Like it's kind of a big deal between Bellatrix and Tonks. So that was kind of like a big deal. Um, and then all the events from Ghoul in the Pajamas, all that's omitted. <laughs> so none of that's there. So you can show Hermione's scene, but you don't even mention, like, Ron's. Like, and what was up with this? When, so, <laughs> like, he was, like, standing outside the burrow thing. 
we're gonna get to this in a minute because we're not quite there yet but remember when harry like starts to walk off like with his backpack on <laughs> like, with his backpack on or something so and i'll get to this one and then i'll let you uh take it from here but harry's 17th birthday was just entirely omitted entirely omitted in this film <laughs> like they just i guess he doesn't have any birthdays now doesn't get a gold watch none of it none of it in fact hermione brings up later on that we made a cake for your birthday but we never got to celebrate it <laughs> like what why why please explain if you're gonna admit it all together please don't bring that up not just waste even more time I don't know, man. Back to you. <laughs> Back to you, Jay Nelly. <laughs> I'm I'm with you, brother. Like I like <laughs> I, I have a lot of what you said there. There's a few other things I'm gonna add in between it as well. <laughs> um, like we like you already we already talked about it there about like, where Hagrid and Harry are supposed to crash the bike at Ted and Andromeda Tonks' house before taking a porky to the burrow. But why why that's also important is because if you guys remember, Harry was supposed to have suffered injuries to his arm, teeth, and ribs that Ted Tonks has to heal. Yeah. But apparently that's not important enough to add in the books. Like, or not, I'm sorry, not to add in the movie. Apparently, like, oh, no worries, Harry. Oh, you're fine. I know you just got jumped <laughs> by 30 fine. Death Eaters in the sky, but no injuries for you. You're good. Like, I thought, <laughs> good, uh, it just does a bad job of realistically expressing what was supposed to happen. So uh, one of the very few things I like better about the movie as well afterwards, though, I will give the movie credit in this was the urgency and franticism of Lupin grabbing Harry with force and throwing yeah. him against the wall, screaming at Harry to answer a question the only real Harry would know. So it was developed... I mean, it was downplayed in the book by a lot. Like, I would say, like, I think this is where yeah. the movie actually did better than the book is when, like, he yeah, grabbed him and, like, answer me! Like, 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 it really kind of built the urgency from Lupin grabbing Harry, where in the book, it's like he kind of forcibly pushed him against the wall and asked him a question... But man, in the movie, like he like slammed, like slammed him against there. Like I thought they did that very Are well. Are you mad? Now. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> then everyone arrives too soon in the movie. It was much more suspenseful in the book. Like you know, like they were waiting and didn't know when people were gonna come back. In the movie, they just all kind yeah. of appeared one after another. Boom, boom, boom. So, uh, but to your point, they didn't have any of the point of views and like talking about like what they went through and how Kingsley even said I might have killed one of the Death Eaters on our way here. Like. That was all just yeah. left off. So, uh, another big difference is we see Arthur lose control for the first time in the yeah. book and shout at Kingsley to get out of the way so he can get to George when Kingsley tries to question Arthur on his identified on, on his identity. So, if you guys remember, Arthur's always been kind of like a chill, relaxed person. Like, like Molly's more of the firecracker of the relationship. Like, yeah. she's the one trying to yell at Fred and George all the time, yelling at everyone to get in shape and. You know, she even threatens to tell Arthur, like, stuff sometimes. But Arthur kind of is like, all right, I'm only doing this because Molly, is, like, I'm trying to make my wife happy. Like, I'll yell at you guys, but I understand kids are going to be kids. But in this moment, in the book, he, he like, is super, like, very angry, frantic. Like, kids, get the, get the hell out of my way unless you want to, like, like, like I, we can duel right now. But get the hell out of my way so I can get to my son. I was like, damn, yeah. we see Arthur lose control for the first time. Big missed opportunity from the film. They should have put that yeah. in there. Um... George's to, ear sorry, in the movie. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say on that that uh, I was just going to make a point based on what you're saying uh, about Arthur. Is that also even proved to Kingsley that that was Arthur? Because, like, no one else that was impersonating Arthur would have cared like that about, about his son. So, yeah, uh, back to you, man. Good stuff. Yeah, dude. So talking about George, you know, that we were just speaking and you know, how he's supposed to get there to rush to his side on the couch. 
George's ear in the movie barely even looked hurt. In the book, it was characterized as there was no ear left at all, just a hole. Like, it looked like there was like, a little bit of blood behind his ear in the movie. Where, like I said, the book makes it, like, he's like, look, look Fred, I'm holy, yeah. right? Because there was supposed to be a whole damn, like, basically no ear exactly. at all. Yeah. So I thought that was something that they could have done better with. Um, Bill tells a story of how Mad-Eye died. He tells the story the right way. The only problem is that we literally saw Mad-Eye fly past Harry on a broomstick alone. So the movie contradicts itself. So I even went (laughs) back and looked to make sure I saw correctly. So if you guys want to, I actually wrote down the time frame of where you can go back and look at Mad-Eye flying alone on the broom. It's at 15 minutes (laughs) and 55 seconds of the film. Mad-Eye is all by himself on the broomstick. No Mundungus to be found. So the movie actually <laughs> contradicts itself. Bill's like, yeah, uh, Mundungus apparated off the back of his broom and Voldemort hit him with a killing curse. And I'm like, well, how could he apparate off the back of a broom that he wasn't on to begin with? I don't understand. So honestly, the movie contradicted itself. Um, this was a difference that I didn't hate what they changed it to. But Harry actually told everyone that was at the borough that he was going to leave on his own. He didn't try and sneak off in the dead of the night. Also, the vision he had of Voldemort and Ollivander didn't come while he was sleeping. While he was sleeping, he actually excused himself from the room to get fresh air, and the vision overtook him out in the garden. Also, yeah. Ron was not the one to talk him out of leaving. It was everyone in the sitting room. Also, also, yeah. Harry never tried to convince just Ron to go with him, and Ron never says they wouldn't last two days without Hermione. So all that is different. But I also do kind of like how the movie did it. So it's one of the differences I'm actually cool with. Like, it is a I'm difference, okay and it does change, like, the storyline a little bit. But I'm okay with how they did it. That's fine. Um, yeah. The movie doesn't mention that it was Snape that cursed George. If you guys realize that, I don't know if anyone actually paid attention. The movie never never states that it was yeah. Snape the one, being the one cursing George. So they left that out. And now me coming kind of catching right up with you here. The movie doesn't show the ghoul from the attic dressed like Rama Spattergroyt. Which, to your point, is a huge issue since we got to see how Hermione left her parents, like, you know, going to Australia. We at least got some sort of resolution on that in the movie, even if they did it wrong. The movie just completely leaves out what Ron does to kind of show how <laughs> seriously he's taken this journey with Harry. They're like, oh, no, ghoul, no, but jam. We're just going to, hey, like, Ron's just not going to show up at Hogwarts. And it's going to be all fine. Death Eaters aren't going to wonder <laughs> about Harry's best friend not being at Hogwarts. <laughs> you know, no worries. So, yeah, that was something they should have added. And then, to your point again, Harry doesn't get a 17th coming-of-age birthday. No watch, no books on girls, no enchanted razor, no snitch birthday cake. So, <laughs> and then the last part, and before I turn it over to you, is the minister arrives on Harry's birthday in the book accompanied by Mr. Weasley. In the movie, he just shows up on his own while they're putting up the gazebo for the wedding. So it's just like Harry's birthday didn't matter at all to the movie. So, and Which is a problem, <laughs> because as you guys know, the 17th birthday is when they come of age, and he can finally use magic without having the trace on him. we got to have that in there somewhere, but apparently the film disagrees with me. With that being said, I'm turning it back over to Chase. Yeah, it... And not to mention, you've done his birthday for every film but this one. <laughs> All of a sudden, this is like the big final film. Okay, all right, I'll accept it, whatever. Um, so Harry then sees the article for Rita Skeeter, uh, and it's like, it's very downplayed in this film versus we got the whole article in the book. Also, like, what was up with the strange picture of Albus, like, closing the doors? Did you see that? Like, it was like a moving picture of Albus closing the doors. In the book, it's like a typical picture 
that Ophelius Doge like spoke about. Like he had his half moon spectacles and everything, and like in this one, it's like him pissed off, like closing the doors or something. I don't know why that was there. Um, in the film, Jenny kisses Harry uh, when he's zipping up her dress. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Because they skipped over his entire fucking birthday. That's why. Um, And uh, also, you know, it was George the next morning. I was okay with this. But, like, the next morning, he's like, morning. And then in the... (laughs) I thought it was good. I liked it. I thought it was was lighthearted and fun. But in the book, you know, it was Ron that got pissed for, like, snogging his sister and treating her that way. So it was kind of a big difference there. Also, um, you know, the letter, I thought this was cool. So the letter opening of the will, I'm a little farther, so I'll let you catch up in there. But uh, the letter opening of the will for Albus Dumbledore, I thought that was cool. Like when the letter opened, that was pretty cool. Um, But also like a big difference is like in the film, like Scrimmageur, I guess is like a cool, lighthearted guy. Like there was no like screaming match or anything. Like in the book, they were at each other's throats. <laughs> Remember, like Molly and Arthur had to come in, but I guess Scrimmageur is like a cool guy. I guess. <laughs> I mean, he gave that cool speech. I guess it won Harry's loyalty over. You know, <laughs> I guess they were cool with it. Just accepted it for what it was, and the whole you know. Uh, decree confiscation <laughs> the confiscation decree I guess I don't know back to you Jay Nelly what do you think man <laughs> dude I'm actually kind of right around the same spell so we're kind of caught up with each other uh, on in totality here where I what I put in talking about the minister like the movie leaves out how the ministry abused their power and kept Dumbledore's will and gifts for 30 days to strip down and see if the items provided had any answers like they just yeah. didn't mention that at all which is important but uh, not only that I did say they did. They got a decent amount of the will and testament scene, right? Yeah. But there was no blow up in the book, like you were saying. Scrimmager and Harry were in each other's faces, and Scrimmager even put his wand to Harry's chest and burned a hole in his shirt. Like, that was yeah. a whole like issue. There, a big confrontation in the movie. Like you said, it was just all kind of cool and chill. <laughs> I don't understand why. <laughs> and uh, so, with that being said, I'm kind of now going into the wedding. Is that kind of where yeah. you're at here? Is yeah, after that is right in the wedding. That, cool. So I'll just take awesome. So I'll just take two more points here to get us started with the wedding scene. But there was no Victor Crumb at the wedding, and that's important because he's the one that tells Harry that the Deathly Hallow symbol was Grindelwald's sign. That's so yep. important. <laughs> like that's so important to the whole plot line. And so without him being there, you know, obviously Harry like looks at it and sees it, but the fact of the matter is Victor Crumb tells Harry that that was Grindelwald's sign. And if you guys have been keeping up with our episodes so far, that's a huge issue. That's a big point that he made yeah. in the novel. So that was a problem. And how about this fucking nice leave out? Harry is not <laughs> in Polyjuice form of redheaded muggle named Barney Weasley. He just goes as himself. Like, why is that an issue, guys? Oh, I don't fucking know. Only because he's the most wanted wizard in Britain <laughs> right now. So he's just going to go to this... Like, wedding full of strangers that he doesn't know and just assume that everyone's going to be on his side and no one's going to give him up to anybody. No! In the book, they made him go as a red-headed muggle that they had taken Polyjuice Potion for to disguise him. Which is honestly the re- whole reason why well, this going to happen later, like, become such a big issue is because they don't know, like, like, it saves people's lives that they didn't see Harry there. 
the Death Eaters that's going to come up, I'm sure Chase is going to take you through it. So not having, him in, not having Harry in a disguise is a huge issue, big problem. All you had to do was just grab another person and pretend he was Harry for a good 10 minutes of whatever wedding you were going to put into it. But yeah, that those two things are big, huge issues I had a problem with. I didn't write the whole damn thing down in all caps. Like, I was pissed when I yeah, saw that he huge. decided to go to the wedding as himself. So, that being said, I mean, I'll turn it back over to you and we'll keep this thing rolling. Yeah, just kind of piggybacking off your Victor Crump thing. And I brought this up to you earlier. And it's funny because this is one thing that kind of made our TikTok blow up out of nowhere. So, this scene was actually filmed. The entire thing. The entire thing. Actually, I put a picture of the actual original footage of Hermione and Victor Crumb and Ron getting pissed. And then I merged it with our audio from the book because it never actually occurred in the film. The director chooses to have a fucking scrimmage or speech in the beginning, but cut this whole fucking thing out? Like, please explain. Please explain. We know from our damn TikTok fans were freaking out about it like why the fuck not to do you realize how important this shit is like why why would you choose to cut that out you cut the two two of probably some of the most important scenes victor crumb the whole thing with the dursleys both of those is what you choose to cut out of this film please explain to me i have no idea why you film the entire thing entire thing there's literally a Pinterest photo with Victor Crumb, like, you know, freshly clean cut, has the chin strap now, black hair, looks in a suit at the wedding, is kissing Hermione's hand, and Ron's behind him, does the exact same scene, like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and you just cut the entire thing with the Deathly Alice. But whatever. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to give him some leeway. Whatever. Xenophilius Lovegood, I thought he was played really well, actually. I thought he was casted pretty well. I liked his, like, little dance, weird <laughs> dance, like, they were portraying in the, in the book, but in the film. Like, I don't know what that was. It reminded me of the Ron Doggy Paddle in Quidditch. I was cool with that. I thought it was, like, uh, it was almost like the new Soldier Boy. It's like, you! <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, we call it the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> yeah, that's a new... This is the new dance, the DH. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the old woman is never properly introduced, but you it is implied that she's Muriel, <laughs> but like no one really knows who she is. Like it was kind of a big deal in the book because everyone was talking about like how like crazy she was. Like, like, like how, yeah, how like mean and nasty she was. For mean sure, and nasty yeah. she was, yeah. Um uh, Bill and Floor dancing. I thought that was a cool ad. That was I liked it. I was okay with it. Um, but Ariana Dumbledore's death is just never mentioned at all in the film. And Elphilia's doge looks like a friar. I don't know why he looked like a friar, but I was okay with it, I guess. <laughs> so uh, with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. What did you think about uh, doge's friar tuck look? <laughs> <laughs> look like at the end of the day like, as long as the because it doesn't really change much to the storyline right so i didn't even yeah. care about how he looked i will say his name is elphias doge not elphilius but anyways like it was fine i didn't care enough like, like, I, I don't really know how he's supposed to be portrayed like the book didn't give 
a detailed description of his appearance. So on that, I could care less of how he looked, but <laughs> I was more concerned about them not introducing Muriel. Like, yes, he's like, I, I agree with you. Like, it was implied that that was her talking to them about some of the secrets mm-hmm. of Dumbledore. But yeah, really, the issue there is they didn't even mention Dumbledore's like sister. <laughs> that was a yeah, big, big problem. But anyways, to kind of move on from that, like going out through the wedding, Kingsley Shacklebolt's Patronus message wasn't a lynx in the movie. It was just a, like a sphere. Like the Patronus message that said like, uh, the ministry has fallen, Scrimmageur is dead, they are coming. All it showed was like a little like sphere of like silver whispery material, kind of like a Patronus, but yeah. it specifically states in the novel that it was a lynx. And, but we're okay with putting two more Patronuses in this. I won't give anything away <laughs> about those yet, but you can put two other Patronuses in just fine, but you're going to leave out our boy Kingsley's lynx? They did him dirty, man. Um, that was dirty. <laughs> yeah. In the film, they couldn't even get the street right where they apparated to. Hermione apparated her, Harry, and Ron to Tottenham Court Road in the yeah. novel. In the film, they went to Shaftesbury Avenue. Why can't you just say the right word? <laughs> like, 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 you didn't even have to do anything. All you had to say was, like, I got us here to Tottenham Court Road. But remember, I did a whole interesting fact yeah, on Tottenham Court Road. Yeah, there was a whole thing Road. on that. I did, I did worse, a whole thing about it. You could have just shown a sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any, exactly. And she, like, what, what Hermione said, she's like, we're at Shaftesbury Avenue. I used to go here to the theater all the time with my parents. Why would you do that? Like, you just changed something <laughs> for the sake of changing it. It didn't add to the film at all. It was stupid. Uh, now... This is another big thing here. Harry was supposed to be underneath the invisibility cloak at the cafe. In the film, he's just chilling like it's all good. Hey, no problem <laughs> at all. all. I know good, I'm the man. most wanted wizard in all of Britain, but that's not a problem. I'm just going to be here chilling in the cafe with my buddies. But like, that was a big problem. Like, he's supposed to be under the damn invisibility cloak. And then, also, Hermione doesn't just tell the waitress to leave. In the book, she wiped her memory as well, so that way she couldn't go tell people what happened. So if you go by with the events that transpire in the film, she just goes ahead and makes that waitress leave. You know what that waitress is going to do? She's going to tell everybody what she just saw. A bunch of magic shit happened, and then people are going to go investigate, and now we've got a whole issue. Where in the novel, they, t- they tie up that loose end by also wiping her memory. It's small stuff like this, guys, that you just need to put in the film to make it make sense. That being said, I'll turn it back over to Chase before I blow a gasket here. <laughs> and then we'll continue on. It only gets better. It only gets... <laughs> it only gets more ridiculous. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I will say this, though. I gotta give him a little bit of a props. I gotta give him a little bit of a break here. Uh, so the coffee shop scene was cool. Like, you had the two Death Eaters shooting spells at Hermione... And I like this kind of full circle moment. Like, she uses Petrificus Totalis and, like, stuns them. So I thought Emma Watson, like, she always plays that role really well. But then we get to Grimwald's place and, like, Ghost Dumbledore is there. Like, I don't know what the fuck this was. I read this in the book and it didn't look anything like that. <laughs> like, where the fuck did that come from? Did I miss something? Was it supposed to have half-moon spectacles and all? <laughs> like, what the fuck was this? Like, I, I, I don't understand. Like, remember, it was not like this at all. Like, it was, like, coming at them from the hallway. Looked nothing like Dumbledore. Absolutely at all. Um, and then there was this train scene 
where like Neville has this like big moment. Like I think it was was it Dolahov? I didn't know what exact Death Eaters it was, but they like show up on the train, and then Neville goes, "Hey losers, he isn't here," and they just go, "Why?" <laughs> Like, what? Like, why did you need to say that? Even worse, why did you have to cut out Victor Crumb's entire fucking scene, but you made up a scene out of fucking nowhere for Neville to say the line losers? Like, but yet we can say damn and complete ass Ronald Weasley. No spoilers alert for later on in here. But you really felt like Neville had to say the loser's word? This is fucking PG-13 now. It's not PG anymore. Like, fucking why? Please explain that. Uh, please expand on something because I felt like I missed something here. I felt like I missed something in the book where it said Albus Dumbledore turned into a ghost. <laughs> I don't know, man. What were your well, thoughts on that? So to answer that, that is actually how it was supposed to be. I don't like how they portrayed it, but yeah. that was a whole one of Mad Eye's booby traps for Snape Protection. was to have the appearance yeah. of a ghostly, dusty Dumbledore. So it was supposed to yeah. take the shape and appearance of Dumbledore, but there is a bigger issue that's wrong with it. Simply because when they like the the dust Dumbledore is what I called it. Yeah. Like the dust Dumbledore doesn't just disappear in a puff of smoke when it gets close to them. Like, you have to it's say like a rendition death. of the phrase, I didn't kill you, before it goes away. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, that's the biggest issue I had with it. Like, what? Yeah, how the hell is that going to scare anyone if it just runs at you and disappears before it gets to you? How is that going to make anyone stop going there? Like, I don't understand. That's just, because I remember in the book it made, like, the tongue-locking jinx. Like, it was yeah, a whole thing. When it was so, yeah. that's a, that's a bigger it. issue. It was, like, not the, the, the appearance of it, whatever. Like, they couldn't get exactly right. Fine. But at least, like, make what it does, like, right. <laughs> it's supposed to it's supposed to come at you and like if you don't say the a rendition of the phrase I didn't kill you like you're kind of stuck there with your tongue locked to your throat and like you know, you know who knows what's going to happen after yeah. that so that's my biggest issue that I have with that but to your point about the Neville scene on the train super stupid I don't know what the hell that was all about <laughs> like like you said you're going to add a scene that didn't happen in the novel that doesn't do anything to add to the storyline of what Harry Potter is supposed to be especially in this final installment here deathly hallows that like if you erase that scene from the film it doesn't make a damn bit of difference to the plot line but when you take yeah. when you add that in but take away victor crumb being there and explaining that the symbol of the deathly hallows is grindelwald's mark yeah you need to put that in there and take that fucking neville scene out why did we decide <laughs> to swap one for the other that was stupid <laughs> that was my biggest issue so those are my thoughts on what you just said yeah no a hundred percent um, and then I'll turn it back over to you right after this one. The whole in bribe scene with Lupin is just entirely omitted. <laughs> so that's not there at all. I was okay with it because I know you got to cut stuff. <laughs> but yeah, we can add the Neville scene on the train. So I don't know. Uh, back to you, Jay Nelly. Cool. So I've got a few things to kind of catch up to where you were talking about Lupin and what's called the bribe is the name of the chapter where he and, and yep. uh, Harry get in an argument. So... I'll go ahead and kind of catch up with you there. I'm still in Tottenham, Tottenham Court Road right now. In the book, okay. Ron, like it even says in the, in the chapter, you can go ahead and take a look at it, but Ron sounded relieved when Harry suggested that they wipe the Death Eaters' memory instead of killing them. In the movie, yeah. it's like, they would like, what do you think they would have done us? Suppose he did matter. It's like he wanted to kill them in the movie. Like he wanted them to kill the Death Eaters, but that's not true. Yeah. Like that's a complete a like, anti-portrayal of what the character actually did in that moment. 
in the novel, it said Ron sounded relieved when the Harry suggested, let's just wipe their memory. Where in the movie, he's like, yeah, let's kill him. <laughs> you know, he doesn't oh, actually yeah. say, yeah, let's kill him. But you can tell by his demeanor and how he like is saying the lines that he wants to kill a Death Eater. So that just is a complete anti-portrayal of the character. Um, to, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about the Dust Dumbledore already. But in the film, this is pretty damn important in Grimwald's place. Harry yeah. never finds his mom's note to Sirius with the picture of baby Harry flying on a toy broomstick. Apparently, that wasn't important enough to put in the film. I'm sorry. It's a huge thing to put in the film. Only be like, like throughout that note, we get to read something about Dumbledore having Harry's dad's cloak in that, and that plays a bigger part later on. On top of just adding to the emotions of being in Sirius's house, looking through Sirius's possessions, because you know, obviously Sirius was the closest thing Harry ever knew to a parent. Then he finds his actual parents' note to his godfather, adding to that they, they just left that out. They just decided that yeah, wasn't important. A whole note. From Lily to Sirius about baby Harry wasn't cool enough to put in the film. Like, you can't leave that out. Uh, on top of that, I guess the film is back on the old track of giving different characters parts that were actually other characters' parts in the book. <laughs> so, in the in the book, it was Harry who spotted Regulus's room and told them that he thinks he found R.A.B., where in the film, it was Ron. So, apparently, we're, we're giving yeah. it to Ron here, I guess. I thought that was unnecessary. Uh, Creature was supposed to be at Hogwarts working in the kitchens with Dobby, but the film didn't put that part in Half-Blood Prince, so according to this movie, Creature was just at Grimwald Place the whole time. So when in actuality, he had to be summoned by Harry in the, in the book. Remember he had to say Creature, and Creature like, kind of cracked and appeared in the kitchen? Yeah. Well, yeah. because the movie fucked up in Half-Blood Prince by not having that scene where they're at the Dursleys where Dumbledore is giving the Dursleys a hard time for how they treated Harry... And remember, like that, that the whole thing. Dumbledore was like, "I, if I may make a suggestion, Harry, you could have Creature work in the kitchens at Hogwarts." And Harry's like, yeah. "Yeah, let's do that. It's a great idea." Well, they didn't put that in the Half Blood Prince movie, so they had to put here. And because they're making up for the mistakes they made previously, and and Half Blood and uh, Deathly Hallows Part One, Creature isn't supposed to be already in Grimwald Place. They have to summon him from the Hogwarts kitchen. So he was just kind of like cring, like already there in the, the spot, which is just not true. It's not. That's not what happened. Yeah. So no, that, that's another another example of them fucking up previously in other movies and coming back to bite them in the ass in this movie. So <laughs> uh, then also, Creature doesn't tell the story of what happened to Regulus in the film. That's yeah. damn important. Yeah, that, that's, that's a huge. huge thing you leave out. Like, yeah, that's the whole reason why that locket like comes to be and like we figure out exactly who has the locket now is because Creature told the whole story of everything that happened from the lake you get to hear about how regulus decided that he was gonna take the locket and make creatures like life mission to destroy it but creature couldn't destroy it they left that whole story out of the film you can't do that yeah like no, you really can't do that out. with that that oh yeah for sure no they they then, definitely did clearly then another part here too is that this is another ad that was unnecessary, but I guess because they decided not to put him in any other movies except the second one. But Dobby appears with Creature when they retrieve Mundungus Fletcher. Why does Dobby help Creature catch Mundungus Fletcher? Dobby had no idea that they had sent Creature to go track him. So why the heck is Dobby just showing be like, oh, I'm going to help do this when I have no idea what's actually going on. So I think they just want him to add him because of like some foreshadow of what's about to happen in the film like later on. That's why my my opinion is that they probably just added Dobby in there to give us a 
uh, a reminder that Dobby still exists because they decided yeah. to not put Dobby in any of the other films except Chamber of Secrets, right? So, right. again, fucking up previously in other films is coming back to bite him in the ass, doing some weird shit that didn't actually happen in the books. They decided to add some random stuff in, in the film because Dobby, again, to reiterate that, Never in the novel does Dobby help Creature retrieve Mundungus Fletcher. And there's a reason yeah. why he does it, because Dobby's nowhere around there, and there's no reason for Dobby to be helping, because Dobby's doing his own thing in the kitchens of Hogwarts. Yeah. He's got no idea what Creature's doing. So Exactly. Which really uh, makes it, like, this big scene of his less, like, surprising. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, so 100%. That's great stuff. And then just two more things, and I'll be all cut up with you with the Lupin part. It doesn't show in the film where Harry gives the fake locket to Creature. And the reason why I think that would be really important to show Harry giving him that is because in the novel, this is where Creature starts to turn a corner in his character progression and being an awesome house elf that likes Ron, Harry, and Hermione. It doesn't even show that either. Because remember, like, like when he got back from scouting the ministry, like, he came in and he's like, everything with the pots, the brass pots shone and gleamed with silver. Like, he looked, he looked like a total different house elf. He had a white cloth on, like, nice and, like, tidy. His ear hair was all in the right spots. Like, the, he turned into the ideal house elf once Harry gave him the locket that, began, that belonged to Regulus. That's an important part because it actually shows him warming up to Harry as his new master. So I think that's something that was a big opportunity that they missed in, in the film. And then, of course, exactly what you said, and I'll turn it over to you right after this, Lupin just doesn't appear at Grimmauld Place at all in the film. Where that's a yeah. huge issue because they have a big blow-up fight. The first time you see like Harry be openly disrespectful to Lupin, who's, a, who's been a supporter of Harry from day one. One of Harry's like mentors and... To have them have a falling out like that is something you absolutely want to put in the film. And they just decided it wasn't important and they left it out. So that being said, I'm caught up with you. Go ahead and take it from here. Yeah. Uh, the next part I have is when they, uh, you know, go into the ministry. So uh, just for a quick second here, the in the book, the statue of magic is might is naked bodies of muggles. Uh, that makes thrones where in the film it's just like a layer of muggles being crushed on a foundation yeah which i don't know i didn't have a major problem with it i guess because you got to make it like appropriate for all families so i didn't have a terrible problem with it just a big kind of a big difference there though uh in the book harry actually even at the ministry he warns arthur that he's being tracked when he was run corn this is omitted from the film um so yeah those were two i had there i did write something down that isn't right because i was watching it so late i was wondering if creature was wearing sunglasses at one point was he ever wearing he wasn't wearing sunglasses was he creature no i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so i think i was there was a, i scratched this one out so just think- so the audience can get a good laugh I was finishing up my differences with this at like five in the morning, and I was like, "He was was he fucking wearing sunglasses?" I wasn't gonna be surprised, <laughs> but yeah, so skipping over that one. But I figured you guys could get a good laugh over that one. Um, but <laughs> I was like, "Is this fucking ass wearing sunglasses?" Sunglasses when he apparated. If Preacher was ever wearing sunglasses, I must have missed it. sunglasses, like you found it in Grimwald's plates with all the other artifacts. 
I don't think that happened. I may have missed that, uh, but you crossed it out, so I don't think you believe that happened either. Maybe just a little I don't believe that. it happened, but, you know, I'm sure he had some Oakley somewhere in there that Sirius <laughs> left him in that, like, stink shack. <laughs> that stink shack, baby. He's getting the whores <laughs> in the strippers in the creature club. Anyways, okay. That was Malice in the Chalice for that. Malice in the Chalice. Malice in the Chalice. Playing the Malice in the Chalice card and now throwing it to the Shadow Realm because I already used it on my creature's sunglasses. So you're welcome <laughs> for that, audience. That's what you get on the Differences episode. Uh, y'all can hate me later. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> That's that's. Could you imagine it though? It'd be like Prince, but creature style in a music video. Little red Corvette, but he apparated shows back up with Mundungus and Mundungus. <laughs> You're like fuck off, Chase. Fuck off. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Back to where we were. Now that I'm losing my mind in tears over here. I was like looking up on Google. I'm like, I haven't seen this fucking shit anywhere. I'm like, there's got to be a picture of a fucking creature and some Oakleys somewhere, man. At least some fucking Ray-Bans. Someone's photoshopped it somewhere. Anyways, so in the book, Harry takes Moody's eye from the door. In the film, it was like in the middle of the, or the door handle, I mean. He takes it from the door handle. In the film, it was like in the middle of the door. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, you messed up just a little bit, just because it was okay. actually in the middle of the door, like I said, but it was behind a telescope. There was a telescope behind the door okay, that was like was. like yeah, right, right close to Dolores' Umbridge's desk so that way she could use a telescope to look at the people on the outside make sure they were doing their job and stuff. So it was in the middle of the door in the book, too. But to your point, he never took the damn eye out of the door. <laughs> like, like yeah. in the novel, he never took it out. I mean, I'm sorry. In the film, in the film, he never took it out of the door. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that was great. And then last one, I'll shoot it back over to you. Um, this is a, this is very minor, but like in the book, it describes like Harry's host, like Runcorn, was supposed to be super tall. I didn't get the vibe that he was really that tall at all. He looked more like a normal sized guy to me. What do you think? Uh, so for Runcor, like I, I think that the size and his like stature was fine, but I don't think that they did it right. Like, remember he was supposed to have some sort of air of authority and you know walking around like like Harry as him was very suspicious. He was like walking randomly, wasn't saying a word to anyone. Like that was I thought they yeah. did that kind of wrong in terms of where he was supposed to be under Polyjuice Potion as Runcor. Uh, but his actual appearance, I didn't really have much of a problem with. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. It's super minor. So with that, in the ministry scene, I thought the ministry scene was really cool. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty badass set to build, despite some of the minor flaws I think it had. It was I thought it was visually really cool, so I appreciated that. But back to you, Jay Nelly. Take us away, man. Back to the correct differences with no sunglasses. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the things that I have, I have kind of right around the same area as you is that when they make this plan to go to the Ministry of Magic, Harry, the whole time, is supposed to be, as Runcor, he's supposed to be underneath the invisibility cloak. 
And in the film, he's just walking around randomly. Because remember, <laughs> like he like in a visibility club, he walked up to the desk of them making that magazine of how mudbloods are a danger to pure blood wizards. Like he like walked up to them and they didn't notice him because he was under the invisibility cloak. But then he thought to himself, like, man, if I open Umbridge's door, even underneath the invisibility cloak, they're gonna see a door opening invisibly. So I gotta cause a distraction. That's what he puts out the decoy detonators, right? So they kind of messed right. that up that he's supposed to be invisible this time, but in the film they're just like, no, we're just gonna have this weird dude walking around, no problem. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, to, to reiterate about Mad Eye's magical eye. It was supposed to be attached to the telescope behind Umbridge's door, and Harry's supposed to take the eye with him. And that's also supposed to be yeah. a bit foreshadow because I'll get there in a second, but him taking the eye in the novel was the catalyst problem of what happens and what goes wrong at the ministry. So right. that part isn't included in the film. So yeah. apparently in the film, Mad Eye's eye is still on the door. <laughs> Even to this day <laughs> in the movie, Mad Eye's eye is still on the door. But, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, again, Harry as Ron Court was supposed to be underneath the invisibility cloak, but Ron as Catermole never went down to the courtroom. Harry and Hermione found him on their way back to the atrium. They, remember when Harry by himself is supposed to go to the courtroom, he follows uh, Mrs. Catermole in there underneath the invisibility cloak. Well, in the film, they decide Catermole and Runcor are just going to go into the courtroom all by themselves, <laughs> not underneath any sort of invisibility cloak. They're just going to walk in like they belong there. It was just so bad. Uh, after that, talking about Umbridge and the courtroom, Harry is supposed to, in the book, attack Umbridge underneath the invisibility cloak. Because remember I said, yeah. like, oh, you could barely even see his hand like outside of the cloak with the wand, and it shoots a stupid spy spell at Umbridge. Where, in the movie, uh, it, it's like, uh, he does this really stupid, cheesy line. He says, you're lying, Dolores. And one mustn't <laughs> tell lies. Like, what in the world yeah, was that? So like, I get, like, I, so I get why they were trying to bring that uh, full circle from like the I must not tell <laughs> lies that was etched into his hand. But that's not what you're, that's not what happened. And honestly, it didn't make sense. Saved some casting and some time. It didn't make sense at all. You're correct. Like, <laughs> like when Umbridge tells the lie, because like that was the whole thing. Is when Umbridge tells the lie in the book. That the S on the Slytherin's locket stands for Selwyn, which is a pureblood family that she says she's related to. Harry didn't change back into himself and say that cheesy line. All he did is like he focused on the book about how enraged he was that she was telling a bold-faced lie and how her whole demeanor is trying to catch other people telling lies and making sure other people must not tell lies. And that's what made Harry like fuck this, I'm throwing caution to the wind and cursing her from underneath this invisibility cloak. It's because it enraged him so bad that she was telling a lie about like how she was related. But yeah, there was no cheesy line like that in the novel. Like, you're lying, Dolores. And one must tell lies. <laughs> like, that was stupid. She didn't but even back say to my part about No. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. In the book she did. But yeah. yeah. Uh, the whole reason the ministry was alerted that there were intruders was because Harry as Runcord took Moody's eye from Umbridge's door, not because people saw him as Harry Potter. Because remember, he kind of forms himself back yeah. into Harry. Like, the Polyjuice Potion doesn't fail them in the ministry. You know what I mean? Ever. Like, that's Ever. the whole yeah. thing. Like, that's a whole other thing that is just a big difference that's wrong. Uh, two more things, and I'll turn it back over to Chase. Hermione replaces the locket with a replica of the locket in the book, which is a really smart thing. And why yeah. it's a problem that the film doesn't show her doing this is because now, if, if, we, if we go by the film's sequence of events, and they just take the yeah. locket and they run, then what basically that shows is that they specifically were at the ministry 
for the locket. And then all of a sudden, if right. that gets back, because, you know, Voldemort kind of has control of the ministry now. If that gets back to Voldemort, which of course it would, it's a sighting of Harry Potter. Of Voldemort's going to want to know right. any sighting of Harry Potter. So if it gets back to Voldemort, that Harry is there looking for a locket, what's that do? Automatically alerts Voldemort that Harry's looking for his horcruxes. And that yeah, ruins the whole exactly. movie. Like that, I mean, that exactly. ruins the whole storyline yeah. if he finds out that early that he's searching for horcruxes. So the fact that right. Hermione was smart enough in the novel to replace it, the spell was called uh, Geminio. That was a spell in the book. It makes a replica of the locket. That makes it so like, they don't know why Harry was there. And that never gets back to Voldemort that they were searching for a locket. You know, for all they know, they were just there to get Mad-Eye's eye back, you know? So yeah, that's, that's right, why it's exactly. a huge issue. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll have, and I'll turn it over to you, is that they didn't use flu pot or whatever they tried to make the green flames look like in the film. They weren't even touching. Like, Harry went first, <laughs> so how did they all end up together? Like, 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 that's my thing is like, how do they all end up in the same spot when they weren't like holding each other to apparate? So how the fuck did they know where the fuck to go? Because remember, they first went to Grimwald Place, but then Hermione had to yank him and turn him to another spot because uh, Yaxley had held on to Hermione. Well, in this movie, like they weren't even together. Hermione and Ron went ahead of Harry and Harry dove in after them. So how the hell did they got all up in the same spot? Like that kind of makes the movie have a plot hole right there of them just randomly... You think they all thought at the same time we're going to go to this location that's not Grimald Place? Like, no, of course not. So that was another big difference I had and some issues I had in, in its entirety for that specific portion of the Ministry of Magic debacle. But I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Chase. Do you kind of agree with what I had there? Or do you think I kind of overblew anything or I, was I kind of spot on? <laughs> no, 100%. The only other thing I was going to uh, uh, kind of touch on for that scene was the dementors like the dementors like were in the halls which in the books it was so creepy because remember when you're reading that moment for us in the book in our episode remember they were almost like mannequins like their heads were turning as they were walking through i don't know if what was fucking holding them up wherever the fuck they were was like a protego spell <laughs> they were like locked in the top like circling around like waiting to come down like i guess when she like sentenced them and well what you was know what it like was and honestly yeah. yeah i'll tell you because this is actually goes into one of our earlier points that we were talking about when it comes okay. to patronuses and how they didn't show kingsley's lynx patronus it was umbridge's cat patronus that they decided was important enough to put in the film they thought that was cool and so the cat patronus was what was keeping the dementors at bay up top okay so the cat Got patronus is what kind of kept them at bay yeah. But that kind of brings up our issues. Like, how the fuck is Umbridge's cat patronus important enough to put in, but Ye uh, yeah, uh, Kingsley's lynx patronus wasn't good enough to put in? That's <laughs> a big fucking question I've got. Yeah. So that kind of was what we were talking about, how there's patronuses that show up later on and how they just decided to omit Kingsley's patronus. I don't know. But, yeah, that was what was holding the Dementors back to answer your question was Umbridge's gotcha. cat patronus. Okay, cool. Um, and then I guess, I guess it was kind of cool i don't know if they were going for like some like the whole typical like 80s horror film style like where they're reaching through the elevator and then he like shot him back <laughs> with the patronus spell but that was another big thing like you never even saw like the stag really like it was like one quick patronus like in the book you know it's the patronuses that actually gets them out like they all conjure their patronuses to get out and it's like one little patronus like the it was like the movie in uh, 
Order of the Phoenix, like when he shot it down the subway, but like he shoots him down the elevator shaft. When the fuck has an elevator shaft stopped an army of Dementors? And it was like, I don't know. on top of that, it was like, it was like bowling pins. Like he shot me, like tumbled over each other. Like, like we were doing 10 pin bowling up in this bitch. <laughs> I don't know, man. I agree with you. That was fucking weird. I don't know. And then uh, last one here, I'll turn it back to you. So in the film, Harry like walks in plain view. We're like in the book, they take out like Yaxley as well as Umbridge. So remember, yeah. just like you were hitting on. Uh, so that was like big. And in the film, like, you know, just like you, you said this perfectly, but, like, he, like, stupefies Umbridge in the face versus, like, this whole plan. I mean, of course, that does happen, but, like, like this whole plan, like, is thought of where I felt like, just like you were saying, like, he had that cheesy line, and it was like, let's just stun Umbridge in the face and everyone runs. Yeah. Like, that's just, I don't know. So I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Um yeah, and, and I guess you kind of had that moment. I guess this was kind of cool. I don't know. I guess when, like, you know, Ron turned back into himself when, like, that the wife was kissing him. And he was like, oh. So Ron got, gets double action. <laughs> gets double action, you know what I mean? But, you know, you know, and that's a foreshadowing for the next film. <laughs> for the next Differences episode. But, uh, yeah, man, I'll let you take it away from there, brother. Sounds good. And the reason why I put this this one I'm about to read out to you guys right now at this point, because I know we find out about this about, you know, 20 minutes ago in the in the book, like in terms of <laughs> where the scenes were, I guess. I don't, even, I don't even know if you can call book parts scenes, but at least where it was written in the book. Uh, we yeah. actually find out before they go to the Ministry of Magic that Snape, became the new headmaster at Hogwarts from the Daily Prophet that Harry grabbed out of one of the people's hands. Like when he was under the visibility cloak, he grabbed the Daily Prophet out of someone's, like, like I don't know if it was their briefcase or their cloak pocket, whatever. Regardless, they find out that Snape became the new headmaster through the Daily Prophet. The reason why I saved it for right now is because it's very hard. I don't know if you guys pay attention. It's very easy to miss. When Ron's messing with that stupid radio, it's, Ron that, it's Ron's radio that tells them that the new Hogwarts headmaster is Severus Snape. So that's the difference right yeah. there. They find yeah, out, on there. yeah, mm -hmm. they find out in the book that Snape's headmaster through the Daily Prophet that Harry stole. In the movie, it's this radio Ron grabs and starts tuning languages in or tuning stations in, and it decides to like just quickly mention that Snape's headmaster there. So I thought that was something in there that is important because you know, and honestly, the reason why it's important is because that's when Hermione goes up to the room in Grimwald Place and takes. Phineas Nagellus's portrait and throws it in her bag, which comes up huge later in the book. Yeah. Like there's a whole reason why they made it so they knew Snape was headmaster earlier, and so that way she can take that portrait with them. That's something that never happens in the film. She never takes the portrait with them. The, that right. taking the portrait with them is super important because if you guys have caught up with us of where we're at in like the episodes we've done covering the novel, there's a reason that like, like we they were given the sword of Godric Gryffindor, or at least are taken to it. There's a reason why whoever sent the dope Patronus knew where they were. Because they're yeah, like this this right. portrait comes up huge and the film just leaves it out completely. So I just think that's really important. Uh, on top of that, we go the first snatcher scene in the film never happened in the book. This is something yeah. that is really important because 
in the book, it was actually Gornuck, Griphook, Dean Thomas, Dirk Cresswell, and Ted Tonks that showed up as like the ones yeah. that the first tested the boundaries. Because remember that the trio, they use extendable ears to listen in on the conversation. And it's important because that's when we learned the sword Snape put in Gringotts was a fake. We needed right. to learn that yeah. there. They decided to put mm-hmm. that in like you know what was called Malfoy Manor in the book later on. Uh, they decided to put that in the film uh, during the, that part of Malfoy Manor. So that that they added a scene. They did the thing again where the movie added a scene that didn't belong in there that actually didn't add to the storyline. It took away from the storyline because if you added the correct one and it was supposed to be Griphook, Gornuck, Dean Thomas, Dirk Cresswell, Ted Tonks, if you added that in there and had them listen, we learn early on that the sword's a fake. And that's very important later right. on in yeah. the storyline. So that's something the film Definitely. really fucks up. Uh, last one, and I'll turn it over to uh, Chase, because this one <laughs> really... Because you know, guys, I always get frustrated. I have no problem. I have zero problem with Hermione Granger in the books. Uh, her J.K. Rowling does an amazing job of character progression and making you dislike Hermione from Sorcerer's Stone, but realizing how amazing she is going forward as she kind of takes leaps and bounds as uh, you know, in a, a character in totality. What the film does, and I can't stand it, it makes it overblows her character and makes her do things that she actually doesn't do in the novel, so that way it kind of pushes Hermione on you because they wanted to really kind of... I, I, well, in my opinion, I can't back this up outside of what I see on the film. I don't know. I can't get inside of the mind of the Hollywood directors, but they really seem to want to boost Emma Watson. I think that they realized yeah, I think how big I think she was getting, how pe- how many people really loved her as an actress, uh, you know. So they're like, "Oh, we've got something special in Emma Watson, so we're gonna go ahead and give her parts that aren't really Hermione's." So that's the reason yeah. I've got an issue with what the film does in terms of portraying Hermione's character, because right here in the film, Hermione is cutting Harry's hair, which again never happens, and just <laughs> randomly, like she yeah. randomly has an epiphany that the sword of Gryffindor can destroy a Horcrux. When, yeah. in the book, it was a portrait of Phineas Nagellus that told them the last time he saw the sword before Snape was headmaster was when he saw Dumbledore break open a ring with it. And that is when they're like, oh shit, the sword of Gryffindor can kill Horcruxes. It's not Hermione just cutting some hair like, oh my gosh, Harry, I just thought of this. <laughs> you know what's crazy? The sword of Gryffindor <laughs> only takes in what makes it stronger. So it's got Basilisk venom in it and we can go ahead and kill Horcruxes like while I'm cutting your hair. <laughs> Like no, that that doesn't happen. That that is factually inaccurate and it really fucks up the storyline. <laughs> and I have an yeah, issue that with is it. True. And with that, I'll get off my soapbox now and turn it back over to Chase and let him take it from there. Yeah, man. No, I agree with you. We're actually going to talk about Hermione a bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think you hit um, most of that really on the head. Going, I did. I gotta say some things I appreciate. I gotta give him some credit. I did like the part where Ron came back splinched. I thought they did that really well. Like Hermione and Watson goes, you know, get the essence of Dittany from my bag. And Ron got splinched. I thought it was really cool because it was very graphic. Like visuals, they do really well on some of the visuals. (laughs) So unfortunately, that is not the writing. (laughs) That is the problem here. Um, The locket, you know, when Harry's casting all the spells, like Dependo, like everything uh you know reducto like the locket was on fire and screaming i thought that was like visually stunning i thought that was really cool like when they were casting his spells and it was like screaming almost like it was possessed or something i thought it was cool so i appreciate that um 
just like you said, Potter Watch is really downplayed. <laughs> like, extremely downplayed. Um, and it happens out of order. Like, that doesn't yeah, happen. Way out of order. It doesn't happen <laughs> until Ron comes back and rejoins the group. <laughs> like, like that's, that's yeah, what way I'm saying. Out of order. So, yeah. So go yeah. ahead. Um, I did like this part, though. I thought it was a cool ad. Um, so, it's when Hermione, like, tells Harry to take off the locket. So, Harry goes... He starts getting mad about Ron, which just sort of happens in the book. Not really, though. Um, but he was basically like, what's he uh, what's he expecting to hear? Good news? And then Hermione says, I think he just didn't want to hear bad news. And then Harry being Harry goes, how long before he can travel? <laughs> and then she goes, I'm doing everything I can. You're not doing enough. And then Hermione goes, take it off. I said, take it off now. Now, that goes into your point, though. They are definitely trying to over-exploit her character by doing this. But I like Emma Watson taking charge. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. I do like some Hermione Granger, you know? <laughs> One of my favorites, so I can appreciate that. <laughs> Not really a point there, but I like it. Uh, and Harry's being a dick, as always, because, you know, that's what he does all the way up into the about the part we're on, because he's been a dick his entire life, pretty much, besides Dudley. Maybe because he's bullied. <laughs> Anyways, um, this is the part that's in, it must be only in HBO, because I watched it on the theatrical version and didn't see it, and then I saw it, like, so, what worked out so perfect with us doing this um, is... HBO, which, you know, we do a lot of HBO shows on this on this um, podcast here at Chasing Josh Factor Fantasy. HBO Max just re-released all the Harry Potter films. So what I did, I went and checked out just to see as I was watching it super late last night when I thought on the HBO version, Creature had sunglasses, <laughs> which wasn't true. <laughs> but this point, I'm pretty sure was there because I saw it. Like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, like, when they're traveling, like, they walk across some abandoned campers. Like, go watch it. It's super weird. Like, it's like a 30-second scene that I think they added from the deleted scenes. It's literally 30 seconds. And it's like Ron and Hermione talking, which was supposed to relate to the film as far as bringing up a point later on where Ron kind of refers to, I heard y'all like talking about me and shit. So it was supposed to kind of be like that. And then Ron like falls back as he sees Harry and Hermione talking as she kind of catches up with them. And he's like stalking them as they're walking past some abandoned campsites. It was super weird. I, I've never seen anything like it. You can check it out on HBO Max. I actually had to rewatch it twice to actually verify what I was seeing. I asked Jay Nelly this morning if it was on the theatrical version, and he verified it wasn't. And uh, I, I might, didn't see it on the theatrical version, so I might have I been know. wrong though. Like, cause I, I, to me, like that point wasn't so important to where I was really paying attention to it. So I might have been on the theatrical version. Cause now you're saying it when you were saying like uh, it was when Ron kind of held back and like was kind of staring yeah. at Harry and Hermione. That kind of rang a bell to me. So it might actually be on the theatrical okay. version. I'm just not entirely sure. Uh, so I guess like what we can do is, you know, for next week's episode, we'll go back and try to take a look at that on the theatrical and see yeah, if it indeed was on one. there or not. But 
yeah, if, if it was, it's just something I didn't I didn't catch because I guess it wasn't important enough for me to document. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no worries. It was it was super weird. Like it, it made me think instantly. Like, why did we go to The Walking Dead all of a sudden? Like it made you think that Voldemort took his Death Eaters and just started killing people in their campers. <laughs> like I have no idea why. Uh, it was super strange. Uh, and then the uh, last one here, this feeds off what you were saying. It was very strange. Like, when the fuck has Harry ever gotten a haircut? In fact, if you look at the American version on the front cover, Harry's hair is, like, as long as Goblet of Fire. So, like, why they decided to switch those, I guess it was the sign of the times. <laughs> I guess I would say back when the big hair was in. But they should have swapped those. Uh... I did like her little line though. I thought it was entirely overexploited, just like you said. But I did like this line, so I'm going to read it. Because Harry goes, You're brilliant, Hermione. Truly brilliant. And then Hermione goes, Actually, I'm highly logical, which allows me to look past extraneous detail and perceive clearly which others overlook. <laughs> like, I was like, Oh, nice. Interesting. I like that line. But I did like the part, too, where Ron comes in like a complete ass with the Deluminator and, like, removes the lights. <laughs> like, this never happened. But he, like, took the lights out and he goes, the sword was stolen. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> You're just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, shake that ass, move it like Ron Weasley. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> came to take charge this is when ronald takes charge in the film that's why dumbledore truly left that fucking deluminator so he could come in there and cut the lights out on harry and hermione before they get it on get it on get it on <laughs> exactly it said not happening up in here not with my girl harry and <laughs> not with my girl you sit back in that fucking chair and you get your barbershop done <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> and with that i'll send it back to jay nelly <laughs> oh yes talking about uh, ron <laughs> speaking on ron and uh those uh, shaking it like a gypsy uh <laughs> i thought this was kind of added to a point that didn't make any sense because what it does is actually takes away from the tone setting because like after ron leaves for some reason in the film it shows harry and hermione dancing where in the book, like yeah. it says, like Hermione wouldn't talk to Harry for a couple days. Like, like he was like she was really upset <laughs> yeah. with how that whole situation was handled. So why the hell would she be dancing with Harry? Ain't no one shaking nobody up in that tent. So Ron bounced out on him. <laughs> Harry and Hermione ain't dancing. I don't know why the film decided to have them do some dances with some spins. This ain't this ain't Cowboys Orlando. I don't know what the heck they were doing. But anyways. Like as I said, the whole reason I have an issue with it because they actually make it a point in the book to mention that Harry left Hermione alone on that first day. So it just is a complete yeah. fabrication. Um, on top of that, why did it take the movie until after Ron left to show Harry discovering how to get the snitch to show its hidden message? In the book, he knew when it was gonna when it was given to him and showed both Hermione and Ron on the same day they were given the contents of the will. Remember, like, they took, we went back yeah. upstairs in, like, Ron's bedroom, and he's like, I didn't catch it with my hand. Puts it to his mouth, and it says open to the clothes. Well, apparently, in the movie, it's, like, a million years later down the road where they're <laughs> without Ron, and all of a sudden, he's laying down in the tent, and he puts it up to his mouth, like, Hermione, I totally forgot. Here, I caught it with my <laughs> mouth. Like, dude, no. Like, we have known since the chapter 
the will of Albus Dumbledore, <laughs> like that we knew the snitch had a secret message that says they open at the close. So I don't know why the yeah. movie decided to push it all the way over to this point. It doesn't make any sense. It's out of order. It does it's kind of dumb. Uh, again, why does this movie hate the invisibility cloak? When they go to Godric's <laughs> Hollow, they take the polyjuice potion and go under the cloak. That's what made it creepier in the book when, quote-unquote, Bethilda recognized them because they were under the cloak. No one's supposed to be able to see you under the invisibility cloak. In the film, Hermione asks, do you think we should have used Polyjuice Potion? And Harry replies, no, this is where I was born. I'm not returning as someone else. But if you guys want to verify what I'm saying, yo, if you want to verify what I'm saying, on the book, on page 321... It states, they use the Polyjuice Potion, Harry transforms into a middle-aged, balding muggle man, and Hermione, his small and mousy wife. So, I give you the exact page number where you can verify what I'm saying. Apparently, the movie just really hates the Invisibility Cloak, because this is the fourth time that there should have been underneath it that they weren't. Tottenham Court Road, Ministry of Magic, right here, right now. Like, there's just so many spots that they should have used this Invisibility Cloak where they don't. So, I'm upset. Uh, also, apparently in the movie, it was not important that Harry and Hermione see Dumbledore's mom and sister's grave. In the film, they just left out Kendra and Ariana Dumbledore's grave. It wasn't important. Fuck it. Like, okay, I guess that's cool. We don't need it in there. And then the last thing, I'll go ahead and give it over to Chase, is the movie thought it was just fine to have Bathilda just walk up to them in the graveyard and that was enough. Well, guess what? That's not what happened. In the book, what did they do? They passed, number one, the war memorial that turned into a memorial of Harry and his parents for wizards. And then when they walked away, it turned back into a war memorial for muggles. Then they walk up to Harry's house, which was like blown apart in the top right-hand corner. And there was a gate where if you touched it, a stone came up that said, you know, all that things about Lily and Harry and and, uh, James and how they left it in ruins in memoriam. And that's when Bethilda found them. They thought, oh, you know what? We don't need to add any of that. That's not important. We'll just have Bethilda show up in the graveyard. Okay. Whatever. Fuck you, film. <laughs> like, all right. So with that being said, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Chase. Yeah, man. You uh, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed all that on the head. Um, I do got to go back here to when Ron's running off a little bit. I got to give him a little bit of good ads. I did like the part where, you know, Hermione runs out when Ron goes, you coming or you're staying? And then he goes, fine, I get it. I saw you two the other night. <laughs> Which, And then Hermione runs out and goes, Ron, that's nothing. Ron, come back. What was she recognizing as was something, though? <laughs> like, what was exactly being recognized here? Because that wasn't in the book. I don't know exactly what she was referring to. Maybe it was at the campsites when they were getting their jiggy the on. The haircut. Maybe maybe a little bit. It was the haircut. The, the, the haircut that? from heaven. That's when they were alone. <laughs> that was nothing. I was cutting his hair. His pubic hairs. Is that what you were cutting? <laughs> Ron was thinking. You were cutting his fucking pubes. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, <laughs> I think sometimes I need to remind Chase that this these are seventeen year old kids. <laughs> I think sometimes Going he loses sight of puberty. that. 
<laughs> Whatever, everyone knows this show is explicit, and y'all don't get shows like this unless it's a differences episode. <laughs> but it's, this is what these fucking films do to us, man. This is what they fucking do to us. But, gotta give them a little props here. Give them a little props. Okay? Give them a little props. I thought the dancing was cute. I thought it was a great ad. Except It's for- a terrible ad. Dude, it's a terrible ad because the reason why, like, fine, that looks nice and stuff, but it contradicts the book of how Harry and Hermione were mad at each other and didn't talk the first day because Harry got in a fight with Ron and basically ran Ron off. And Hermione's like, you're an asshole for that. Fuck both of you, Harry and Ron. Don't talk to me. But no. And Harry's like, let's have a nice little fucking slow dance. So, I, I don't know. I think that was a terrible, that was a terrible I ad. Have, I don't know why they had to have the train song. It was like, the train is leaving the world today. <laughs> it was super strange. And then why is it Harry went to the Yule Ball, actually had a dance, but he does this, like, twisting thing? It was like he was trying to salsa or something. Coming from two guys that go to fucking cowboys and know how to do step? What the fuck was this? He was, like, getting his jiggy on. He was getting that haircut on. <laughs> he was... The train is leaving the world today. Ron won't come back anytime today. <laughs> oh, he was he was getting his getting jiggy with it. <laughs> yeah. I but I appreciated that. I appreciated that. <laughs> and uh let's go to the next little one here. So Harry um and Hermione uh, just like you said, don't use the polyjuice potion. And you hit that nail on the head because I wrote it down word for word. Like he mentions, like he doesn't want to be something that he's not. Um, you mentioned entirely the memorial and the magical sign just aren't even there. Um, I thought it was very downplayed, though. Like the reef Hermione put around the grave. Remember in the book, they like walked past, what was it called? The kissing gate? It was like a kissing yeah. gate or something. Yeah. That they yep. walk past and like he was like literally in tears. I felt like yep. in the movie he was just like, oh. <sighs> okay, let's go, <laughs> okay, let's go. And uh, <clears throat> what was up with this? I felt maybe they were like super stoked for the fucking Conjuring Three that just came out. Like Bethilda like creepily shows up behind them. Like they turn around, they're like, oh shit, <laughs> oh damn, <laughs> Bethilda. Bethilda, we've been waiting all night for you. <laughs> we've been waiting all night for you. Oh, fuck. Damn, what was that smell? It was rotten corpse. <laughs> That's what that fucking smell was. And then the next one was... Uh, so, in the book, um, Hermione, of course, doesn't stumble across, like, the blood in, actually, Bethilda's house that's, like, on top of the ceiling with flies. Uh, that's not in the book, is it? I didn't read nope. that in the book. It's yeah, not, okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure I got my facts right. But then what was <laughs> up with like her using, Bethilda using Postle Tongue right in front of Hermione? Did you see that? Like, what was up with that? Like, you don't think Hermione's going to say something? Like, this is fucking weird. <laughs> like, okay. That, like, entirely opens up red flags. Fucking red flags. <laughs> fucking red flags. And then Harry, like, just walks upstairs on his own. Like, he's just walking upstairs, exploring people's houses. And we're just going to explore people's houses. In the book, it was Bethilda that, like, wants him to come upstairs that's speaking it in Postle Tongue. So I had a big problem with that. But 
With that, back to you, Jay Nelly. Yeah, man. So to kind of take it from that section, or at least kind of in the same area here, uh, Nagini was supposed to come out of Bathilda's neck, not transfigure from human to yeah. snake. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, Bethilda's body was still there because you guys remember later on in this, like, you know, the section, at least through the contents of the novel, when they get on Potter Watch, Lee Jordan tells them, like, yeah, they found the remains of Bethilda Bagshot dead in her house. Well, how are you going to find the remains if there's no human there to remain it to? All it did in the movie was it transfigured from the human to the snake. It's a big plot hole for the movie. Yeah. So that's a big problem. And now, here's my biggest fucking problem. I have for Godric's Hollow. When they were getting attacked by Nagini in the book, Voldemort was on his way there and ended up getting so close to them that he saw Harry and Hermione disapparate from the windowsill. In the movie, Voldemort is not seen or mentioned in that whole sequence. What the fuck? (laughs) Like, what the fuck, man? That is so huge. You know how close he got to capturing Harry? He was there. He got to the windowsill as he saw yeah. them twist and disapparate from the windowsill. He, if he had apparated 10 seconds earlier, he would have captured both Harry and Hermione in the book. And that's how crazy close call that was. And the film decides that's not even important enough to put in. I'm sorry. That's the whole fucking <laughs> part of this damn thing here going from part one of Hell's is yeah. Harry's on the run from Voldemort trying to kill Voldemort's Horcruxes, but it's not important enough. Oh, my own Horcrux snake has Harry hostage. I'm going to go get Harry now. Nope. Film's like, no worries. The snake will take care of it. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. And then the last one I'll have, and I'll turn it over to Chase because I'm leaving Godric's Hollow here. I can't mention exactly what yet because of spoilers, but the Doe Patronus couldn't just magically find its way there. The movie left out a key mm-hmm. item that they brought, which was able to help the Doe Patronus know where to go. And that's all I say, right? Yeah. Because we know about, remember I was speaking about the portrait in Grimwald Place, right? And how when they right. left Godric's yeah. Hollow, she opened her bag and they said where they were. Because Harry's like, where did you take us? And she said, to Forest of Dean. And right. yeah. so I can't exactly say why this is a problem, but like, as, as far as the movie goes, Number one, that item is not in the bag. Number two, if that item's not in the bag, how the hell would somebody, I can't say who, know where to send the fucking Patronus? How to just yeah. end up in the yeah. forest of Dean out of its own clear ass? <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, that needs to be sent to a specific place for a specific reason. Someone needs to know yeah. where you are to send you that message. Kingsley knew they were at the borough when he sent his links. Dolores exactly, knew where the Dementors right. were to keep yeah. the things at bay. This doe isn't just going to find Harry and Hermione by fucking sniffing the grass until it catches their scent from fucking Britain. I don't know, man. That shit really pissed me off. So <laughs> it, 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 the movie thinks we as readers and as watchers are fucking idiots, apparently. And we're just going to accept these things happening when it's completely like anti what the book is supposed to be leading up to. So... Anyways, like I said, with that, I'll turn it over to Chase before I pop a fucking blood vessel in my brain. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, these films do this to us, man. The films do it. Uh, they cause it on themselves. Um, I will say uh, another big problem I had was, so Harry never fell ill or anything. Remember when he came back, uh, they apparated back to Forest of Dean, 
like Hermione was really like taking care of him because he was ill because he was having the visions of Grindelwald. Like that was huge. That was a major point. Not the not the not hey hold, hold on time out. Not the visions of Grindelwald. He was having the visions of what happened to his parents on the night oh, yeah. that everything happened. He was seeing the Voldemort parents, that's what it like was. reliving. Yeah. Yeah, reliving exactly. So yeah, that's yeah. what they, he was having those visions of, which again they left out of the movie because they didn't think in Voldemort showing up there was important. So anyway, they didn't think it was important at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nope. So hundred percent. No, you're right. Nope. Um, I don't know. I want to make sure I'm right on this. In the book, this is just super small. In the book, wasn't Harry like already like in his underwear pretty much when he was like um he goes to look for the silver dough i think he was already no. like in his underwear or something he wasn't no because in the book it, it mentions how he's got to take off all of his layers before he jumps into the lake so he wasn't okay, in his okay. underwear in the book. gotcha okay gotcha yeah um well i did i gotta get into this point i thought the ghostly like out of the locket i thought they did this scene very well like uh when the locket opens i thought it was badass the movie's worth watching just for this scene. So if you just pull it up on YouTube, watch this one scene. <laughs> this one scene is absolutely fucking badass. Uh, the ghostly, like, Harry and Hermione, like the Horcrux Harry and Horcrux Hermione are absolutely phenomenal. I did like this ad they made because it was almost like a lot more adult. So in the book, it says, like, their lips met. But, like, they were, like, naked and making out. Like, it was, like... It was very adult. Like, you can see how it would press Ron. Um, and I thought it was a really good ad because it shows, like, how everything's grown over the years and how much this was testing Ron. Um, and I thought that was done really well. Um, Hermione, though, when she gets mad at Ron, it's very downplayed as it was in the book. Uh, very downplayed. I did think it was cool. Like, she throws, like, some leaves at him, hits him with a bag. But, <laughs> like, that was, like, super downplayed. Uh, she did say, you're a complete us, Ronald Weasley. So we're saying the ass word now because we're adults. A-double-S. A-double-S. So that was good. But it was still really downplayed. Um, and then uh, as far as at this point, you know, when Ron comes back, I thought this was kind of a good ad. When they're at Xenophilius's location... Um, Ron goes when they're reading the tale of three brothers she go, Hermione mentions Twilight or mentions Twilight and he goes mom always said midnight but Twilight's good it's better actually because he's trying to like get on Hermione's side I thought it was an okay ad kind of ridiculous but I'll take it um, and then also like in the book they like apparated and walked to like Xenophilius's place, like it didn't it wasn't it Saint? I can't remember what the street's called. Saint Catcherpole or something. Saint, yeah, <laughs> you know Saint Audrey Catchpole. Cotterill Catchpole. Yeah, they go there, but like here they just like apparate to his fucking place. Like they know where that shit's like instantly at. <laughs> like we're just gonna show up at his fucking house. But I did think they did his house really well. Like they had the signs and everything well. Visually, it was dead on. Like, it was pretty much dead on from the book. So I thought it was good. Uh, but with that, I'll let you take over from here, man. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit with those things that I had on mine, too, as well. I'll just kind of reiterate that uh, this is one of the things I did appreciate the movie doing well was the scene of Ron pulling Harry out of the frozen lake. 
and even all the way through destroying the Horcrux, like they did that awesome. Like it was like it, that movie is worth watching just for that scene. It was they did that very very well. I'll give them that credit. Also, this is one thing too that I think is worth mentioning. Remember when they escaped from Godric's Hollow? Hermione grabbed the book, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. And remember, in that book, a big point yeah. was they got to read Dumbledore's letter to Grindelwald about Muggle domination. There was no mention of Dumbledore's letter to Grindelwald about the greater good at all in the movie. There was right. not one single yeah. mention. That's super important because like, that makes Harry like, even more furious with Dumbledore that at the same age Harry and Hermione are now, Dumbledore was like kind of pro-Muggle domination, and they're sitting here trying to save the damn world. And so he's like, what the hell is your excuse, Dumbledore? Like, that made him even more upset, and leaving that off is just inexcusable. You can't leave that out. Um, Yes, to your point, I agree with you wholeheartedly that they depicted the visual representation of Xenophilius Lovegood's house very well. It looked exactly how I pictured it when I was reading it. It was awesome. They did a great job there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie omitted the Erumpet Horn. The the Erumpet Horn apparently wasn't important enough where I don't know, it only blows up half the fucking house. So, but <laughs> apparently that's not important. It's all good. Uh, and then here's another thing I did like a lot. I did star and say, you know what? I really love this. This is another reason why, you know, just for these two scenes, watch it. But the uh, visual representation of the tale of the three brothers, I liked that a lot. It was that like was that cool amazing. kind of creepy Albert Hitchcocky. Uh, you know, uh, animation of like shadows and didn't even couldn't even see like actual people, but you still kind of put that creepy little vibe into it. I really liked how they represented the tale of the three brothers in this movie. So kudos to the movie on that. Um, I will say that they got very, very close to getting the whole Xenophilius portion correct. The main difference was Xenophilius in the movie told them as they tried to leave that Luna was taken captive where in the book what harry does he actually looks up in luna's room and found it dusty and unused so that was the main key difference yeah so like does it change too much no but that is a key difference that like xenophilus doesn't just crack and say you know i they doubt luna you know like in the book there like he tries to trap harry there by keeping them staying around and around but uh so that was the main thing i had and then like i said they fucked up with the death eaters arrival the Death Eaters didn't destroy the house. It was the Urumpet Horn which blew up the house before the Death Eaters got there. Then the Death Eaters came in and basically tells Xenophilius that if Harry's not there, Luna's life's in danger. And that's when Hermione comes up with a plan to let them glimpse Harry before disapparating. In the movie, the Death Eaters were just blowing through the house and the trio locked hands from the floor and disapparated. Like, like that was a yeah. whole big problem. You can't do that because at that point in time, if we follow the contents of the novel... If, if, if we just accept, accept what the movie did there, you can basically kiss Luna goodbye. She's dead. Honestly. Exactly. Because right. that's the whole thing. Yeah. Like if, if Luna's not here, we'll see if we can find bits of your daughter to leave you to bury, is what the Death Eaters said. Right? Yeah. So they never, right. the Death Eaters never got to see Harry, Hermione, and Ron. I mean, they didn't get to see Ron anyways in the novel because Ron was underneath the invisibility cloak. But Hermione came up with that whole specific scheme to let them glimpse Harry so that way they could save Luna's life and make it so they knew Xenophilus was at least telling the truth that Harry was there. So not only did they fuck up with having the Death Eaters just blow through the house blowing shit up and down, but on top of that, it didn't show the Death Eaters like being able to see Harry and Hermione before they bounced out through Apparition and when when the Death Eaters were threatening Xenophilus Lovegood. So 
that's a big issue. Big thing that you uh, you can't really get wrong, or else it changes the plot line of at least 100%. two characters' uh, storylines. So. Hundred percent. That being said, it's I'll like turn it back over to you. Like a big ass action scene. Like I thought it was yeah. one of my favorite action scenes because it was so. I mean, you know, I, I think Hermione's awesome. So like the genius plan she put together, like I, that's so cool. Like just, whatever. <laughs> I I don't understand how they shoot themselves in the foot <laughs> every time. But uh, no, you hit that on the head, man. That was awesome. It's all you. Cool. Take it from here, man. Awesome. Um, so the next one I have. So like in the book, the Snatchers catch the group because Voldemort's name is tabooed. And remember, Harry uses the name Voldemort, and that's how they catch them. And here, I guess it was Scabior that you were saying is who it was. There was no Finnier Greyback. <laughs> like he was there. He was there. He just wasn't he was there, identified. In, yeah, correct. Not in this little section is what I'm saying. No, he, he, yeah. he is there in that section too. He, he's in the background. Like you like you have to really know what he looked like in the movie to catch that it was him. He His body, oh, okay. his like like his prosthetics and everything they put to make him look like it, he was in the background though. He was the one that grabbed like them to the side. Like uh, That was to the side. But like you're right. The Death oh, Eater, okay. not the Death Eater, the Snatcher Scabior is kind of the one that's the head honcho of this whole thing in the film. But I'll let you go ahead from there. But I just wanted yeah. to let everyone know. If you do look in the film, you will see Greyback in that section too. So he's gotcha. just not okay, speaking. Cool. He has no speaking roles in that spot. And I don't understand that. Like, that makes no sense to me. Like, he's a huge part. And yet you're still going to have him there, but he has no speaking roles. Uh, but I did write this down. That Scabier goes, hello, beautiful. Well, don't hang about. Snatch them. <laughs> like, why? Why did you deem that necessarily? But... If you're looking on the visuals here today, look right behind me. This iconic scene is actually right behind me here on the visuals. It is that iconic scene where Harry, Hermione, and Ron are running through the forest. I did think it was cool. Like, Hermione, like, hits the Death Eaters, like, two at a time with a spell. And they, like, explode off the ground. So dirt goes everywhere. Uh, well, keep in Ron, mind, remember, like, they weren't Death Eaters. They were Snatchers. They weren't Death Eaters. Snatchers. So, yeah, sorry. I keep calling Death Eaters. So the Snatchers, like, she, like, shoots a spell, and the Snatchers, like, get hit with the stunning spell, and, like, it explodes off the ground. But then that's when Hermione realizes that, like, they've been trapped. Basically, they can't go anywhere, and that's when she stuns Harry in the face. Versus in the book, remember, they said, come out with your hands up, and she hits Harry in the face there, because that was part of her plan. Both of it was, like, a really good rendition of the plan, but then like Harry has the vision in the forest of Grindelwald and it was different than the book because like in the book Grindelwald is like laughing trying not to give the information in the film like he just goes Dumbledore has the wand (laughs) like what like that whole thing was an entire entirely opposite of what happened the first time like there was no like fight back on that like it was Dumbledore has a wand <laughs> fuck off like fuck off fuck you guys um and uh yeah that's why I said actually you're right I did notice it because I said Finier Greyback is not the lead snatcher that's in this section of the film um also in the book uh Dean Thomas is also was he was Dean Thomas in the cell at Malfoy Manor I couldn't tell I couldn't tell. So okay, good. I Dean did Thomas, yeah, Dean Thomas was actually with that group of snatchers. 
So okay, Dean gotcha. Thomas was, was, was yeah, he was ta- he was already taken captive. So gotcha. like when they showed up and were about to take Ron, Harry, and Hermione, they already had Dean and Griphook with them. So, gotcha. so like, those okay. two were already caught. Gotcha. Yeah, man. And with that, I'm gonna turn it right back over to you, brother. Good stuff. So, I before we get into that, I, there is one extra thing I had in here that is important to the storyline before I get to where the Snatchers show up in the movie. It leaves out the whole dilemma Harry has when they escape Mr. Lovegood's place in the book. Because remember, he believes, like, now that he learned about the Deathly Hallows, he believes Dumbledore wanted him to find the Hallows, and Hermione thinks it's just a fairy tale. Remember, that was a whole chapter of them, like, Harry, like, keep focused on the Horcrux. He's like, no, you're obsessed with Horcruxes. We yeah, need to find the Hallows. Right. They're all real. Like, like, they just left all of that out. That's a huge issue. Um, but to your credit, you actually put this, net, like, you know, the nail on the head with this part. The Snatchers don't just show up out of nowhere like they do in the movie. In the book, Harry accidentally says Voldemort, which is tabooed, which incidentally is another key point the movie omitted because that's how the Death Eaters found them back in Tottenham Court Road is because they mentioned Voldemort back then, and that's how they found them there. So the movie decided, yeah. you know, the taboo name, fuck it, <laughs> apparently. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> going on from there, like you were talking about, I, I mean, you really did tackle this spot on. The scene in the movie where Voldemort questions and finds Grindelwald is messed up in three different ways. The first way is since Voldemort never went to Godric's Hall in the film, he never saw the photo Harry dropped. So how the hell did he know yeah. Grindelwald was a thief? In what world is that he just like, oh, you know what? I think Grindelwald's a thief. I'm going to go see him. Like, what? No, the whole reason that he even saw, like, he figured out who Grindelwald was is because Harry dropped the photo back in Godric's Hollow. Voldemort picked it up, and now he knows who the thief was. So they, they left yeah. out Voldemort from Godric's Hall. There's no way Voldemort would have known who Grindelwald was. So they fucked that up there. Number two, it happens out <laughs> of order. And number three, like you said, Grindelwald never tells Voldemort where the wand is in the book. <laughs> he says, I never had it. <laughs> so anyways, that, that, yeah, that was all fucked up. But in the movie, Harry just tells Hermione quickly before they're captured. Like they're in a scramble, in a run. He just tells Hermione that the Hallows are real and she just accepts it. I'm sorry, that didn't happen. In the book, she sits there and tells Harry, it's all just a fairy tale, Harry. There's no such thing as Resurrection Stone. You can't bring back the dead, Harry. It's all bullshit. It's all a morality tale. <laughs> like, they were fighting about it. But yeah. in the film, she he goes, hells are real. And she's like, okay. <laughs> like, what? So, yeah. It's just a huge point of contention and disagreement amongst them. And Hermione thinks they're fairy tales and Harry thinks they're real. And, you know, that's that's kind of a buildup of conflict between the trio you know, and the film's just yeah. like, all right, Hermione, you're just gonna you're just gonna hear that the hell is real, and you're just gonna say, okay, all right. So the point where it's just funny, like they they overblow Hermione's character in the film on the farce where they shouldn't, and then they take away from her when they should push her character. So like weird. they they really kind of screw yeah. it up, man. So continuing on from that, uh, in the movie, like you said, the Snatcher Scabier is the head of the Snatcher group, and the book it's Fenrir Greyback who's in charge and giving the orders. Uh, in the book, they realize who they have because of the picture and the Daily Prophet of Hermione. In the movie, the Snatcher just examines Harry's face and thinks it's him. Like, <laughs> like there, there, there is no... Remember, because, like, in the whole the build-up to that, even Scabier, who wasn't supposed to be in the lead, was like, oh, wait, I think there is a Dudley in the department of whatever yeah, in the ministry, because Harry tells that whole lie. So, yeah. exactly, he's an idiot, but, like, in this movie, he, like, looks the same, he's like, Oh wow, boys, we got Harry Potter. <laughs> like what? No, <laughs> yeah, that's not what? how it happens at all. 
So uh, with that being said, I'm actually going to turn it back over to you now because the next thing I have is from inside Malfoy Manor. So I'll let you go ahead and kind of get up to that speed and then we'll, we'll finish it up. Cool. Yeah, that's um, the next thing I had was... Uh, so I guess I did like this kind of ad. I thought it was funny. Um, but like when Dobby appears, like Harry goes, are you saying you can apparate in and out of this room? And Dobby goes, of course, I'm an elf. <laughs> like, I thought that was kind of a good ad. Because in a way, it was kind of like, fuck you, Harry. <laughs> like, have you not been paying attention this whole fucking time? <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was good. Um, and then, of course, you know, Harry, I thought this was, this is definitely a big difference. But I thought it was kind of cool. I kind of liked it, but it definitely took away from what happened in the book. But... Here he goes, meet me at the top of the stairs in 10 seconds. And it happens super quick. And then Dobby, like, appears in 10 seconds. And he stuns Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> like, that wasn't what happened at all. But, um, and Peter goes, ow. And then Dobby goes, who gets his wand? <laughs> and I thought, I thought it was cool. Because I appreciate Dobby. I like how they gave him more lines. I wish they had done more with the whole Peter Pettigrew thing, like the book with the silver hand, because that was so full circle. But at the same time, like I did like Dobby's part, like who gets his wand. What they should have done, in my opinion, was did the Peter Pettigrew thing. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Take it away. No, like that's what I'm saying. Like to your point about the Peter Pettigrew thing, when, he, when Dobby just stuns him and knocks him out, well, apparently, according to the film, Pettigrew's still alive then. Apparently, he's still breathing. Because in the Makes book, sense. like you're just about to get into right now, he chokes himself with his own silver hand until he dies. <laughs> but they, like they leave that out in the fucking movie. You can't leave. <laughs> yeah, him. You, you leave can't leave it You cannot leave a character's death out of a movie, especially if like you're gonna put it in like he's still alive. Because like, like you're not gonna say Dobby's a murderer. Were they gonna say like, oh, Dobby killed yeah. him with that quick spell? No, Dobby's not a murderer. Like like that that. The way you try to portray that is all bad. So I don't even think they tried to portray that Dobby murdered him. They tried to portray, like you said, that Dobby knocked Pettigrew out and they took his one. Well, then, how is Pettigrew like, dead? <laughs> because you got you got to address that at some point, and they don't address it yeah. in next movie either of Pettigrew being dead. Like, or like at least like not the way that it's supposed to happen. Like, like, like yeah. you said, you're about to get into it right now. I'm sorry I kind of interrupted you, but it just pissed me off no, so badly. Like, yeah. he choked himself with his own silver hand, that great full circle moment that the book geni geniusly wrote into it from giving Harry, you know, Dumbledore said there's going to be a day where you're going to be happy that you saved Pettigrew's life. And then that that day had that day came. Dumbledore's words came full circle and Pettigrew killed himself with his own hand. Well, not according to the film. According to the film, Pettigrew's still alive at this point. He's Fuck still off. alive, I guess. He's still alive. But what I was going to say is like I would have been okay with it if like Say, like, the silver hand choked him out, and then Dobby, like, picked up the wand and was like, who gets his wand? Like, sure. that would have been really cool. Like, I would have liked that. Like, that takes an extra one second, and you could have added that awesome scene versus you're having speeches and train scenes all throughout your... I, I don't really understand that. Uh, the next one I'll say... Um, and uh, I I know you really want to say this line, so I'll let you say that line from Bellatrix Lestrange. No, that's you, you sure? man. That's you, you want me to say it? Okay, yeah. I don't want to take it from you. But um, <laughs> she looks at Hermione and goes, "She says basically leave this one and goes, let's have a conversation." 
Gal to Gal. <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter is amazing. She is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Jay Nelly and I were talking this morning because we always do some like show prep, right? Like show prep before we get started. Like in the book, like she looks more like the girl from the Adams family or something. But it goes to show it's almost like a cosplay. Like you don't have to look just like the character to be able to pull it off. And Helena Bonham Carter, she played her down to the fucking T, man. She was fantastic. Every line she's ever added has been for a purpose, which whether it was like a director or not, who knows. But if it was an ad lib, absolutely genius. Because even going back to Order of the Phoenix, she just goes, Neville Longbottom in the How's mom and dad? <laughs> like, it's just so great. So phenomenal. And then right before I turn it back over to you, man, like, I did think it was cool. Like, the soundtrack was playing. It was a little overblown. But, like, the soundtrack was playing. But um, just like you said, like, a, a, it was very brutal and, like, kind of a gorgeous ad. But they had the bloody mud blood carved on Hermione's inner forearm. Um, and you can see, so I brought this up to Jay Nelly in the book. It describes her of like in and out of consciousness, like unconsciousness. I'm like, but she's still fully conscious. I didn't really have a problem with that, but you can kind of see the tears coming out of her eyes. But I do think I have to give Emma Watson credit here. It felt like a torture scene. Like it felt like a teenage girl was getting tortured to me. Like it, it felt like, uh, I think this scene at Malfoy Manor and the Horcrux scene is really what made this film like worth watching. Um, and I, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. With that, I'll turn it over to you, brother. Yeah, dude, sounds good. So I'll just kind of catch up with you because by the time I catch up with you here, I only have two more differences left. Um, okay. Awesome. First off, in the book, we're, we're talking about here at Malfoy Manor, Harry was not hiding Sirius's mirror shard in his sock. It was in his little necklace around his, like, the little thing that, the moleskin thing that Hagrid gave him. So I don't know why he just pulled it out of his fucking sock in the movie. Uh, <laughs> secondly, he didn't look to it purposely for help. He was pulling all the items out of his moleskin so that, and he happened to glance at it, and that's where he thought he saw Dumbledore's eye. Thirdly, in the book, he tells the Shard of Mir, we're in the cellar of Malfoy Manor. In the movie, he just says, help us. So how the hell would the help know where to go? Like, like in the book, he specifically states, we're in the cellar of the Malfoy Manor. So sweet. Now, now that makes a complete sense because whoever's going to help you on the outside knows where you are. In the movie, he just said, help us. And apparently, like magically, the person knows exactly where they are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That's absurd. Oh, man. Um, after that, like we talked about the huge difference in, in the movie. But you, you mentioned it. Dobby knocks out Wormtail. But in the book, Ron and Harry tackle him and try to overpower him. And it's like Wormtail's silver hand goes to Harry's throat, almost kills him until Harry reminds Wormtail that Harry saved his life. And then Wormtail hesitates. Because he hesitates, ends up choking himself to death with his silver hand. Can't leave that out. We already mentioned it. But anyways, uh, in the book, Harry asks Griphook to lie to Bellatrix and say the sword is a fake. The movie decided that was not important enough to put in. Uh, I'm sorry. Last time I checked... There's a whole reason why she's scared. It's because they think that she's been in, like, someone's been inside yeah. her Green God's vault. So how are you going to leave out the fact that Griphook has to tell them that the sword is fake? So, uh, yeah, big miss there. 
And so I'll turn it back over to you because after that, I've only got two more differences and I'm finished with mine. So go ahead and take what you have left and then I'll catch up with you and we'll kind of give our final thoughts on it. Sounds good, brother. Uh, I did think the standoff was cool uh, with Ron and Harry and Draco and Narcissa. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Like kind of the standoff with those two, those four, like going head to head. But like... Harry never hits Finrear Greyback with, like, the three wands, like, at all. <laughs> like, doesn't hit that. Um, I did think it was cool that Bellatrix, like, it, it really showed it well, like, in the book. Like, when she brought, like, Finrear and all of them to their knees. Like, that was really cool. Helen about Bonham Carter is really cool. The chandelier scene, I gotta get them props. That was great. Like, the way Dobby did it and, like, undid it and it drops. I do got to say this as a little difference. It didn't bother me too much. But in the book, Dobby was almost like, it describes him as always being like trembling and petrified when he shows up back in the Malfoys because he's back in the Malfoys again. When Dobby shows up here, he's not. Like he's really confident and stuff. And it kind of gives it a different perspective. I don't mind it. I don't have a problem with it. At the same time though, I think it makes more of an impact the way it was in the book uh, but the chandelier scene was badass like when it drops and Bellatrix goes stupid elf you could have killed me <laughs> and then uh dobby goes dobby never meant to kill dobby only meant to maim or seriously injure <laughs> and then you're the the crack and then uh that's when he takes narcissus wand and then bellatrix goes how dare you take a witch's wand? You defy your masters? Dobby has no master. Dobby is a free elf. And Dobby has come to save Harry Potter and his friends. And I thought it was just great. Because at the same time, too, it's kind of... Uh, it was like... like I think the directors added it because they want more of that comedic from Dobby. Because I don't even think they realized what they did here. At the same time, if you look at it this way, it's actually almost a full circle for Dobby because he's going up against his own masters because he's free now. I don't even think they realize what they fucking did. And that's what's so great about it. It's absolutely phenomenal. And you got to think of it this way. Dobby the house elf, now free, is going up against one of the biggest, baddest witches of all time. Like, that's great. That's phenomenal. I love it. Um, I thought it was a great ad. I just love that line. Um, you know, this is the saddest part here. You know, I thought they did this really well. You really see the emotion here uh, and what it meant to Harry. And uh, Dobby's standing there. You know, Bellatrix throws the knife and he apparates with all of them. And I, that's one thing they've always done well in these films is the apparitions, like showing the apparitions. And you see the silver knife. I still remember watching this in the theater, as I know you did, Jay Nelly. Like, I still remember watching this in the theater in college. And I, this was the moment in the theater when everyone was gasping. Like, they knew what was coming, but they couldn't believe this was actually going to happen. And uh, he, the knife goes straight through the apparition, which it was a... I thought they made the knife look really cool. It had, like, the wooden handle and the silver... And it went straight through the apparition. And then he's standing there on the beach, um, you know. And Harry's, like, looking around, asking if Hermione's okay. And you see Dobby just standing there on the sand, holding himself. And he just goes, Harry Potter, 
and then they look over and he's just trembling and the blood's going over his chest and Harry just goes Dobby hold on we'll fix you Hermione have something in your bag Hermione and you can kind of see her and this was in the book which is so great because it really starts to show his emotion for Dobby which I don't even think the directors even realized what they're doing I think they were trying to give that emotional connection from back in Chamber of Secrets but they don't really realize how much Dobby meant to this series um, and then it's really powerful too when they showed Hermione and Ron just looking at Dobby and Hermione's not going to your bag at all because they know in their head like there's nothing they can really do at this point to save this elf and and then Harry's saying there he's like he's help me and Dobby just says it's such a beautiful place to be with friends Dobby is to be his friend and then you you know you have all the sense of sadness in there and uh Dobby goes Harry Potter and then he closes his eyes his eyes glaze well his eyes glaze over because they stay open and then Luna comes out and weird Luna you know she plays her so well the actor that played Luna goes we should close his eyes don't you think and she takes two fingers and closes them and goes there now he could be sleeping and then Harry just says I want to very improperly without magic as Dobby you know he picks up his arm and is just holding him and cradling him uh, and lies dead in his arms and um, you know Hermione takes him in that blanket and then they bury him in the ground and uh, Ron is even holding Hermione and sobs and um, the last thing I have, and I'll let you close this out and take all the rest of yours, is, you know, the white tomb did look pretty badass. I got to give him that. Uh, it cracked and rolled away, and Voldemort was breathing over Dumbledore's body. But, like, they definitely tried to overblow this because they had the major soundtrack in the back. And, like, Dumbledore, like, Voldemort, like, takes the wand from Dumbledore, shoots it in the sky, and... In the book, it sparks, but he shoots up, like, Thor, the god of thunder. Like, a thousand lightning rods that, like, light up the sky. I was okay with it. I didn't have a problem with it. Um, and I gotta say, like, when... I, I was actually working at the theater when this movie, right before it came out, because I worked at the theater in high school and through college, so I was there for three Harry Potter films. And everyone was thinking, you know, this book... This movie might end right where the Horcrux was was killed. And um, I thought it was just really powerful. They ended where Dobby died and the Elder Wand was taken. Because then it really kind of was that Empire Strikes Back moment that you just had from Half-Blood Prince. You're kind of like, well, shit. Wow. And uh, yeah, so that's what I have for my differences, man. You want to take all the rest of yours, brother? Yeah, I only had two more differences than kind of my final takeaways of everything, which is only two things as well. Uh, but the one thing I will say is about that scene, the reason why, you know, yes, it was good, it was emotional, it did, it did its job in terms of making you mm -hmm. feel all the right emotions where Dobby was killed. But it's a big problem with Hermione giving Dobby a blanket and Hermione being there. Because remember, in the novel, yeah. Hermione was so tortured, they had to get her inside and get her help. Because she was so, like, like yeah. almost, you know, at the, yeah, so, like, she shouldn't have been there watching over Dobby or giving Dobby a blanket. Like, Harry's the one that took right. off his jacket and wrapped Dobby in the jacket in, in the novel because... The reason why that's important is because Hermione was was barely standing. Like she was so injured, she needed to be taken inside immediately and get help. 
That's why like Bill right. even says, like, you show up here, you know, you got a dead house self, an injured goblin, Hermione looks like she's been tortured. Like, you know, that yeah. that's where I have a little bit of an issue, but in terms of the scene itself, yes, it made you feel all the right things. And it was sad, you know, to see Dobby go like that. And I do appreciate one of the small things that I liked what the film did better than the book was it gave Dobby more lines than just saying Harry Potter before he passed away. It's like, it's such a great place to be here with friends. Like that was nice. Like I did appreciate that. I thought that was great. Now the two other uh, differences that I have is how the hell. And cause like this is, I'm talking about from the film's perspective only. We, we, we know how in the novel in the film, how the hell does Dobby know where to take them? Because in the film earlier, it, Ron yeah. told Hermione and Harry that he slept outside a pub, not at Bill and Fleur's in the movie. That's what he said. <laughs> Nobody ever told Dobby to take them to Shell Cottage. So how the hell did Dobby know where to take them? I don't know. Someone answer yeah, me that. I don't know. Like when I don't know. he That's showed up, point. he didn't tell. He did. He said, "Get Luna and Ollivander out of here." Didn't tell him where to take them then. And then on top of that. No one knew. No one told them where to take them after like all the things happened upstairs in the Malfoy sitting room. So I just don't know where the film goes off with. Apparently, they just know exactly where to take them. But yeah, that wasn't explained. Then my last difference is in the movie. Why the hell was Dumbledore's tomb on some fucking island? It was just on some random island in the middle of nowhere. Like he was buried on the Hogwarts grounds. Like literally, like the actual book itself. I'm actually gonna read this. Word for word here from the book, so that why everyone can see why the hell I'm like so confused about this. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I thought it was strange too. It made no sense. Let's see here, right here. And he walked on around the edge of the lake, taking in the outlines of the beloved castle, his first kingdom, his birthright. And here it was, beside the lake, reflected in the dark waters, the white marble tomb, an unnecessary blot on the familiar landscape. So very clearly, it's on Hogwarts grounds in the novel here that I just read for you word for word. In the movie, he's on some fucking weird island that's just in the middle of nowhere, and it it's really weird. dumb. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I had a big issue with That's the last major difference I had. So with that being said, there's two things that really stick out to me as a reoccurring theme throughout the film that is an issue I continuously had. All the way from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. Number one, they way underplayed the significance of Dumbledore's past. The things we found out about him and how it affects Harry through the first half. It's almost like right. no mention of it at all. You, like you said, yeah. there was that one little snippet of Elpheus Doge who had the little prophet thing. And he saw Dumbledore like closing the doors trying to be secret. But yeah. throughout the whole first half, it's a big conflict of emotions inside Harry when he starts learning more and more about Dumbledore's past and things that he's done, especially that letter from Dumbledore to Grindelwald really kind of affects him because it shows that Dumbledore wasn't always the good guy he made himself out to be. It way underplayed the significance of Dumbledore's past and it really threw off that as a part of the storyline, especially when we get into how they come around in the second part of the novel. So that was a huge issue that I had. Secondly... They basically didn't even bring up the big deliberation on if they should look for the Hallows or the Horcruxes and how divided Harry and Hermione were on it, if they even existed or just part of a fairy tale. So 
That's another thing. Like, that's I mean, this is this this is the namesake of the movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. This is the exactly. namesake of this novel. You cannot act like it's not an important thing. Like I said, when they, when the Snatchers went to grab him, Harry's like, "The Hallows are real. Dumbledore's after the uh, Voldemort's after the uh, Elder Wand." Like, and she just accepted it. No, like this was a big point of deliberation between the two. They were so they were at contentious points of. Harry's like, no, we're like, hell is a real. Hermione's like, no, it's all about children's stories. We have a job to do. Let's do the job. Like, there was a big point of contention. They didn't bring that up at all in the slightest. Didn't even make, yeah, like, there was not, not even all. the slight mention that the Hallows might not be real from Hermione in the film. And right. they did it a real yeah, big no, injustice. Exactly. So, yeah, no, definitely. Those are my two big reoccurring themes that were not depicted properly in this film. And that's all I have to say on it. Do you have anything last that you have there as well, or what? Nah, man, I think it's, you know, my problem with the film is I feel like they do so, they do things right that are really cool, um, and cool ads every now and then, and then they shoot themselves in the foot and, like, miss major moments. Um, what would you give this film on a grading scale, just like we grade the other ones? What would you give this film? On a scale of 1 to 10, and... Here's the thing too, because they I, I had more things starred and keyed that I liked that they did, and there was two moments in this film that I liked what they did actually better than what they did in the novel. So even though there was a lot of differences and a lot of bad omissions, I still gave it a passing grade on a scale of one to ten. I gave Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One a seven point five out of ten. That's that's solid. I like that. Um. I want to give it an 80. I want to give it a B. I feel like it's being very generous. I'm going to give it an 8.0. I'll give it an 8.0. I'll be super generous today. <laughs> but 8.0. I'll give it an 8. I'll give it an 8. It's definitely the one I've liked the most because I felt like it's definitely come the closest we've seen. So I definitely give it an 8. So it didn't let me down as far as that sense. However, definitely going back through the books over the years, I can see some major differences. Um, but I'll give it an 8. So, yeah, man. Uh, you want to go ahead and close us out today, brother? Absolutely. You know, so like the, the, what we always do these differences episodes, it's a little bit of a change <laughs> of pace, a little bit of change of uh, direction of how we kind of tackle these things. So it's always fun when we do these big things, too. And hey, they tend to be some of the uh, episodes that people, we get the most feedback on that people really enjoy when they talk, we talk about yeah. the differences. Because we... We really don't leave any stone unturned. We really go in deep and heavy on how we truly feel about it. And so like, I always really enjoy doing this. So my point in saying all this is there's only one more after this, right? We've got the rest of the novel contents to cover. And then at the very final end where we read the epilogue of Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows and we kind of take you through the very, the conclusion of Harry Potter series in its totality, we'll only have one final uh, differences episode to, to yeah. kind of tackle there, which is Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 2. So, uh, you know, don't miss anything coming up because everything from here on out is super key and very important to the storyline. With uh, that being said, guys, thank you for joining us. We love to have you. We love our listeners. We love the comments that we receive, uh, the reviews that are left on the spots where you can review it, such as Apple Podcasts. We get a ton of reviews on there, a lot of great feedback. Uh, if you ever want to follow us, if you're just joining us for the first day and you don't know how to find us, 
We have an Instagram page, which is at official ridiculous Patronus. We've got a Facebook fan page, which is Chase and Josh back to fantasy. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts from. If you're an Apple user, find us on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, find us on Google Play or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Podbean, which is our hosting site, who has been great to us over the past year and a half of us doing this show. So in, in conclusion here, guys, we don't have very many episodes left to do, right? We've got four yeah. more episodes that cover the contents of the novel, one more episode for like our rankings of everything that we're going to do in of Harry Potter in its totality. And then on top of that, we'll have some interesting facts sprinkled in. I'll let Chase talk about the lack of an interesting fact that's going to follow this episode because we have, we have sort of like a, uh, a routine and system that we follow yeah. with certain things. So with that being said, guys, for myself, Thank you. If you ever are interested in what I'm doing personally, either even outside of what we do for the podcast, my personal Instagram handle is jnelly83. I believe Chase's is rbrow129. And so for me, that's all I've got to say. I'll let Chase give his last words, and I'll give our little breakdown cadence, and we'll get out of here for the day. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, so everyone remember, we will not have an interesting facts this week. Uh, we never have interesting facts after the differences episode because they're focused on the film. So we cover the film differences in their entirety on this episode. So there's not a reason to have an interesting facts for the week after because those are just for the novels and the whole Harry Potter wizarding universe that is still actually going on today, which is one of the very unique franchises that is out there. Um, But once again, guys, you know, we are at the top of the mountain now. Like there is no denying we are at the top of the mountain. Like we have climbed to the top. Um, and now the climaxes begin. So this is where it all comes to a head. This is what you've all looked forward to for an entire year and a half. Let that sink in. Um, as we've said on the last couple episodes here, also let it sink in. This is it for season one. This is our final ride. This is our ride or die. One shot everything rides on, like we always say. Uh, opens at the close Um, I'll say it one more time guys you know you guys are the shields that guard the realms of fantasy we're nothing without you Uh, follow us on TikTok you can follow us there at uh, official ridiculous Patronus Uh, I started mine Chase Brown 013 you can follow us on there but the biggest thing on our official ridiculous Patronus and I put a little on my personal page on the TikTok is you get to see the promos every week so if you kind of missed an episode or something um, it'll at least give you an idea of what that episode was, and then you can go back and listen to it, which is pretty cool. We're trying to get Jay Nelly on there. <laughs> We're working on it. We're going to get Jay Nelly on there soon. Um, you know, follow us on Twitter. Still on there, official Ridiculous Patronus. No, uh, I, th- I can... think our Twitter uh, handle is RP Factor Fantasy. I'm pretty sure. Twitter... RP Factor yeah. Fantasy. Sorry. We got so many official Ridiculous Patronus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. RP Factor Fantasy for Twitter. Um, you can uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy on Facebook um, and then Josh already mentioned the Instagram but uh, yeah guys uh, we're giving it to giving it all to you on this one and um, the fourth quarter is almost over so uh, we're getting to the end here and it all opens at the close and with that I'm going to let Jay Nelly sign us off today you got it and on top of that I wouldn't say like yeah, we're, we are what's it called like we're at halftime because this is really half of the book, right? Like or half of the yeah. half of yeah. what's it called? The novel and the film kind of split off right here before the ending of it. So we're kind of like 
halfway through the final the final quarter. So uh, yeah. we only have we don't have very much left to go. So as Chase said, man, it's been a wild ride, and it's only gonna get better from here as we close out the rest of this franchise and the rest of our season one of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. So don't blink, because everything from here on out is big moment after big moment, and we're here to give it to you. But this is all that we are going to do for today, because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing signing off. off.